Blog Talk Radio. It's time to strap our boots on. This is a perfect day to die. Wipe the blood out of our eyes. In this life, there's no surrender. And there's nothing left for us to do. Find the strength to see this through. folks and thank you once again for coming back to Bard's Logic Political Talk, part of the Grassroots Conversation and also part of the Patriot Journalist Network. And you can find the Patriot Journalist Network by going to www.patriotjournalist.com. Uh, again, thank you everyone for coming to the show, whether you're listening tonight live or listening uh, to the podcast. I apologize for being away for a couple weeks, but uh, family comes first and that's what I was taking care of. Hopefully I won't have to uh, be away uh, very more, uh, many more times. Uh, so uh, welcome back. Uh, it's, it's great to be uh, be back. Great to be here. Uh, we've got uh, you know pumped up the show. Of course, a lot's happened in a, a couple or a past couple of weeks, and we'll be definitely discussing that during the show. But first, uh, we do have uh, our guest uh, coming on tonight. Uh, I do see a number of folks uh, from uh, the state of Hawaii where our guest tonight, Randy Gotts is calling from. He's running for state representative in, uh, in the interesting state of Hawaii. Not, of course, interesting because all the sun and palm trees and things of that nature, but the political landscape uh, that is there, uh, which I find uh, very interesting. And I'm going to hope uh, to hear more from our guest uh, tonight. So uh, we welcome him. I believe uh, probably the uh, first caller, so I'm going to be kind of flying blind here because I've not had a chance to bring anyone into the green room, so let's go ahead and see if I'm opening up the mic to our guest. Uh, thank you very much for coming to the show. Is this Randy I got on the line? Hello, hello. Can you hear me? Yes, yes, I can. Great, great. Thanks for having me on today. I really appreciate it, Robert. How are things doing? Oh, doing all right, doing all right. I know we had a little, uh, a few hiccups here and there, but it's uh, <laughs> great to see that we were able to get you on the show. Uh, with some scheduling things, Absolutely. Uh, but here we are, so that's awesome. Hey, well, I really appreciate it. I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to talk to everybody, and uh, I'm really excited to hear how today goes. Yes, certainly. We uh, And, of course, as you may or may not know, uh, I think you probably have from uh, the gentleman who got you onto the show, uh, is, you know, we're not just in uh, Hawaii, we're we're heard all over the place since we are on the on the internet, so it'll be interesting. Uh, we definitely get callers and listeners from, you know, all over the country, and even some some places uh, abroad, other countries, which is pretty interesting when I, when I look at those uh, where some of our listenership is. Um, but anyway, that's awesome. that's awesome. Uh, discussion for a, <laughs> another time. Uh, one of the things I wanted to discuss. Go ahead. Well, one of the things great. I want to discuss to is you're, you're, running, you're, you're running as a Democrat, and uh, they're in Hawaii, which is a very, through my understanding, uh, blue state. And so, you know, tell us why the Democrat Party, kind of give us an idea 
of what the political landscape is uh, in Hawaii. And to my understanding, pretty much, if you're going to run in Hawaii, you better run as a Democrat because you're really not going to uh, get elected. I mean, is that a, a fair ass- assessment of that? I think that that's pretty fair. I mean, there are a few places on the island that you could probably run as a, another party, whether that be a Republican um, or possibly even a third party, which is highly doubtful, but a Republican, and you would have a, a, a shot at, at winning. But uh, it's it's been held democratically since about 19 uh, – overwhelmingly democratic since about 1954. Uh, there was something that was called the Democratic Revolution in Hawaii. Um, so right now, I think uh, we only have in the House about five, uh, excuse me, four sitting Republicans now that some are jumping up to run for Congress. And in the Senate, we have zero. So you are absolutely right. It's safe to say that we are blue all the way through. But it doesn't always mean that we have Democratic tendencies. And I think we'll get into that a little bit with our discussion today. But, uh, you know, we have a lot of troubles in Hawaii, just like anywhere else. Um, And, you know, we have tons of people that have switched parties in Hawaii over the time. We have a handful of sitting legislators who used to be Republicans who are now in the Democratic uh, Democratic Party. And uh, so it's been a really interesting uh, time getting involved in in Hawaii politics. And I'm sure uh, for some of the listeners who are unfamiliar with it, that it might be a little confusing at first, but I hope to iron out some of the details for everybody. Yeah, certainly, and you know, no better time to, uh, than the present. So let's go. You know, I think since we're online with that uh, part of the discussion, let's go ahead and go there. Uh, I know you and I've had uh, sure. you know small discussion on there, uh, you know, off air. Uh, I mean, but it is a it is an mm-hmm. interesting dynamic, and and also it's one of the reasons uh, why I used to be a uh, you know a supporter of, of Puerto Rico coming on and being a state, but eh, maybe not so much. But anyway, uh, that's uh, you know <laughs> for another topic as well. And we may talk about that later on, but right. yeah, go ahead and tell us more about that. Because that is, I mean, it is a fascinating sure. uh, dynamic there. Yeah, so I mean, I can start and give a little bit of historical background uh, in Hawaii and kind of lay out how um, the parties came to be and then how the political structure came to be in Hawaii. Um, and so, for for those who I guess don't know, um, back even before maybe the 1900s. Um, you know, we had individuals from uh, the states come in to Hawaii and uh, want to start uh, utilizing Hawaii's land and resources to, you know, to bring in some revenue and, and gain capital, just like any uh, good old, you know, capitalist, uh, you know, Western society does these days. So they came to Hawaii and set up a lot of uh, uh, exports. So they started doing sugarcane, uh, pineapple, things of that nature. And there were uh, five big companies and five uh, individuals behind that from the states. So uh, white white gentlemen, older gentlemen who came in, and they were known as the big five in Hawaii uh, for the longest. So they came in and set up these huge industrial agricultural crops um, and then started importing uh, workers from all around the world. Uh, We're talking Japan, uh, Vietnam, um, Portugal, um, uh, China, um, to bring in really cheap labor to produce uh, produce crops in Hawaii. We all know that Hawaii's got such great weather all year round, so what better place to make crop than that? Um, and it took until about 1954 um, for the workers 
who had been oppressed for a long time, and then some would even say there's some uh, you know his, historians that say that they were in worse conditions than uh, uh, you know at the time would be considered modern day slavery because the poor living conditions they were in. Um, and they finally rose up um, and kind of created a bunch of coalitions together, uh, pushed back. Um, at the time, it was the uh, was very Republican held in Hawaii at that point, uh, the party. And then pushed back and had a democratic revolution. It actually started about 1950. It takes a, a few years for those things to, to really catch on. And in 1954, the entire state government was flipped, um, barring a few here and there um, to overwhelmingly democratic state. Um, but really over the over the years, um, parties really don't even matter in Hawaii anymore. I mean, only for running for offices, which is why you know, so many of us who do run, run as Democrats because the party is such an umbrella these days. And something that I mentioned to you before and something you guys may have caught wind of, uh, we had a recent uh, Republican switch over. Her name was Beth Fukumoto, and she made some headlines because she came out, um, you know, against Trump's harsh rhetoric, and she was one of the rising stars in the Republican Party here. And the Republican Party here really pushed her out, so she switched to the Democratic Party. And that was she's probably one of six that I can recall off the top of my head in the past probably decade that switched from one party, uh, the Republican Party, to the Democratic Party. And that's where we're at now. We have a, a huge control um, democratically, but we have such a spectrum of Democrats in Hawaii. We have those that in any other state would be considered Republicans. Uh, then we have those who are kind of in the middle, the centrists. Then we have those who are a little bit further uh, to the left. Um, and then we have a population who's really overwhelmingly um, a little bit further left, as you can uh, probably imagine from the, de- the presidential election in 2016 when Hawaii went for uh, Bernie Sanders, uh, about 70 percent uh, in the presidential election. So it's really interesting how the the sitting legislators kind of differ from the major majority of the population. And uh, on top of that, we have some of the lowest voter turnout in the nation. So it's a pretty interesting dynamic we have here. And I think that's a good segue here uh, to your opponents. Uh, Such so you said that they kind of run mm-hmm. the spectrum and, and kind of give us an idea of what spectrum you uh, believe that, they, that they're on, uh, at least your opponents for what, what you're running for. And of course, that's Jessica uh, Wooley, uh, representative there, I think. Mm-hmm. And then there was a former lawmaker, Keith. Uh, if I tear up these names, folks, I apologize. Uh, Bukowski. <laughs> and then this one, I'm mm-hmm. sure to uh, to maybe mangle. And that's Lisa Kitagawa Akagi. I don't know if I got the second part of her, first part of her last name. <laughs> um, so, I mean, how much do you know no, about you them? It, right? uh, where would they sit? And then, and then, where would you put yourself amongst them? And what your differences? Sure, sure. So it's interesting race this year. Um, it's actually an open seat. So our current rep, the legislator, he's running for the Senate. Um, so it leaves us needing a rep. And then there's a former state representative who used to represent this district. Uh, her name is Jessica Woolley. She is running. I would consider her, um, you know, a liberal. Um, she is a liberal environmentalist. She has a, a background in environmental law. Um, when she had represented previously, um, you know, there were some mixed reviews about her being in office. I actually have some friends that used to, to work on her campaign and things of that nature. And, uh, you know, needless to say, it was some of individuals considered it a, a disappointment because not much was getting done. And, uh, you know, there were some other details that went out into the, the public spectrum that, you know, the public wasn't really too great 
uh, receiving. And then there's Keith. Uh, he goes by Kika nowadays, K-I-K-A. Um, Bukowski. I believe it's Bukowski or Bukowski. I think they're both acceptable. Uh, he was a former lawmaker um, back in the year 2000. He was elected to the uh, state house uh, in Maui, which is on a completely different island than where we're at. Uh, we're running um, for a state house seat in Oahu, which is where most uh, people who come to Hawaii would probably be familiar with. It's where uh, the island of Oahu has Waikiki Beach. It has the, the city of Honolulu. Um, so when you hear about Hawaii, it's most likely Oahu. Um, but he ran or he ran was a elected Republican um, in 2000, uh, and then he left office after one term, and now he's in Kaneohe, where we're running, and he's running as a Democrat this time. Um, and then our last opponent, uh, you've got the name pretty much on point. Her name is Lisa Kitigawa. Uh, the Ataki, she's leaving off for the election. It's just Lisa Kitigawa for election purposes. She's a, a new, a new in, uh, individual in politics. Um, I've been getting to know her a little bit over the past few months, uh, and she's an interesting uh, political uh, candidate because, you know, I've been involved in Hawaii politics for many years now as an activist, as someone who's uh, been at the legislature and testifying in support of uh, certain pieces of legislation. I've been organizing individuals to get together, uh, specifically from the colleges and the younger generations, to turn out to, to have their voice heard. And, uh, you know, we have never heard of this gal until she jumped into the race. And I've been a, actually a staffer at the State Ledge now for almost three years. And she had gotten a job last session um, by one of the people who was in leadership. So our leadership in Hawaii is uh, obviously Democratic, but uh, the reason why I'm running is because our leadership has been very untransparent. Um, they've uh, been very stagnant on moving on issues. Um, they really like incremental change, um, and if you can even call it change, it's a lot of incrementalism here. Um, so the kind of the political will to, to act on things is, isn't too high. So when I heard that, you know, this other uh, candidate had well, been well, can I under, given can a position, can I interject with a quick question? Yeah. Uh, I, did you too. think that's because? Do you think the inaction is, it may very well be caused because you have such a one-party dominance there? You know. I don't think that that would probably be the main reason why. I'm sure that's a factor um, in some way, shape, or form. But because it's one-party dominant, we have a lot of factions. Um, so we have you know, individuals who used to be in power that have a, a, a faction. We have those who would consider themselves the progressive wing who are a faction. We have those who are the current leadership that are a faction. And then you have uh, kind of the new freshman class that's a faction. And – you know, although it's a one-party state, you know, we still don't work together, you know. So it's it's hard to say, you know, really where um, the the disconnection goes. But I really think it's culture over anything. It's the culture of politics that's been for so long, the, the lack of the public's input, the, the voter turnout, things of that nature. You know, we see the same faces testifying over and over. We have a very entrenched lobbying um, culture here that you know the same lobbyists will lobby for uh bills for and against their own interests just because you know that's where the money's coming from um so really it's i think it's really it's just the fault of our own for one for not being engaged and then two it's just this culture that has been perpetuated over and over and over that 
that those in power get to have the say um, without having, I guess, the public come and give their their two cents first. So that's kind of what we're trying to push up against and something we've been doing for a long time is kind of trying to keep the power in check as a, a you know, we've got together and, and organized a lot of individuals from the, the local colleges and gotten together a lot of individuals who wanted to see change and started making coalitions now to, to lobby um, as people, people's lobby, to, uh, you know, try to testify and push change, which has been mildly successful over the few years. So, yes and no. I think the answer to your question is sure in some aspects, but mostly I think it, it's just really uh, kind of the lack of uh, voter Turnout, the lack of uh, people wanting to get involved because they know how corrupt it is here. Well, and that's and that, that's brave for you to say. <laughs> it's right out in the open like that. Yeah. Uh, and I'll tell you what, Absolutely. and that's and that's one of the, yeah, that's one of the things we we talk about a lot. You know, is government corruption, and not just you know there in Ohio. I'm talking about especially in the, the swamp, which is uh, D.C. I mean, I mean, I was watching over the Christmas uh, you know Christmas last year and. Uh, I guess that show that comes on, I don't come on every year, or I guess it was around Christmas, or maybe it's a little before, uh, Mr. Smith goes to, to Washington. I mean, this movie was made in like the, the 40s or something. I mean, that's almost eight, that's 80 years ago, and they're talking about how corrupt Washington was 80 years ago. Uh, it's, you know, and so one of the things I think this would be a good segue is something you said on your site uh, is that uh, you say our future depends on returning power to the people on leaders that serve the well-being of the people first. And that kind of sounds a little bit like Trump, you know, drain the swamp. And one thing we talk about a lot here, you know, is about, you know, grassroots, get the people involved. I mean, do you say that what, what you said there is – would you find similarities there with, that, with what Trump's uh, trying to do with draining the swamp? I mean, I'd be hard-pressed to, to – to relate myself uh, with national, uh, really harsh national politics right now, but I totally think that Trump came in with an anti-establishment message, and that's exactly kind of uh, one of the messages that we're running on as an anti-establishment. Because again, I, I I truly believe in the democratic of the democratic of Hawaii's platform. You know, the platform I think is is great. It talks about working for the working class and and you know always fighting for those who need a leg up and and things of that nature. But when I look at the current democratic status quo, which is the establishment right now, they are doing absolutely nothing to help those who have been trying to get by in Hawaii for the longest. And that goes hand in hand with our local population that, you know, we are seeing locals, people who are born and raised like actual native Hawaiians move away from Hawaii at an alarming rate. Um, and it's been only increasing over the past 20, 30 40 years um, because it's just getting so difficult. We just keep allowing a lot of corporate uh, huge developer types um, that come in and to build, you know, extreme high rises where the top 10 floors go for $29 million a condo. Um, and it, it's, it's interesting to see that these huge condos that are going up and they're beautiful buildings, but right underneath of them, there's a huge tent city of homeless individuals. And a lot of them you know, were born and raised here. So to see that kind of gap, you know, we all can we all know that you know a lot of the major cities these days it's getting harder and harder to make a living. But in Hawaii, it's just so obvious um, that now there's this huge initiative to to push the homeless away from the tourist areas 
and have them stay otherwhere because the tourists are starting to be affected by it. So it's a really interesting dynamic. And so in that instance, yeah, I mean, absolutely. Running an anti-establishment campaign, I think, is and people are hungry for change these days, and people want to see those who are saying, okay, we've been doing something for you know, X amount of years one way. You know, we need to try something new, and we need to have people who are willing to stay out, you know, step out on their own sometimes. And maybe that means you know, I'm going to be the only one voting against our status quo, and I'm okay with that. You know, I'm, I won't mince words. You know, I'm okay with calling individuals out and saying you know, you're here for the people and you haven't been doing your job, so – Thank you for your service. It's time to move on, and let's get some new blood in there. Yeah, I think in Washington and, and all over the country, we, we need citizen statesmen and stateswomen uh, like it was meant to be. You get in, you do a couple of serve, and, you know, you get out. Now, of course, you know, you have to, I guess, have some. You can move up through the ranks. Uh, you know, you know, state house then becomes, you know, representative, you know, that goes to Washington or senator or something like that nature. I mean, I know you need some of those, but man, after a while, you got these people who are in there for 30, 40 years. You know, just that—that's their 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 life, that's their careers in politics. Uh, but one of the exactly. things—it's uh, a term you—it's a term you used, and I want to get some clarification uh, for that. Is uh, you deem the houseless uh, population, uh, and you and you and now you just you know a few moments ago you mentioned homeless. I mean, are those interchangeable, or is there any difference between? Uh, the two terms or the meaning between the terms and what you're doing with that or want to do with that? Um, I think there is. It's be, and it's be only because I, I work really closely with uh, individuals who work with uh, which what I would call the houseless because a lot of them were born and raised in Hawaii again. Um, and this is their home. You know what I mean? They, they identify uh, culturally, socially um, with Hawaii. It's, it's been a part of who they are for their entire lives. So Hawaii is their home. Um, it's just they don't have a place to put over, you know, a roof over their head. And, uh, you know, that's that's kind of where the words between homeless and houseless come into it, because I think houseless is a more uh, it's a more humanizing word for uh, a lot of the individuals. Because, you know, there's this rhetoric, uh, at least in Hawaii, that a lot of these individuals don't want help or they're just lazy. They don't want to get a job or they were flown in from another state because – what better place in the world to be homeless than Hawaii? And, you know, what I've seen <laughs> I was kind of thinking that, to be honest. Like, well, maybe it's the weather now. Come just get right. right. And some people, you know what I mean? There's, I don't want to blanket and say no one has, but there's some people that have come over here and said, oh, I, I wanted to come to Hawaii, and I, you know, sold my, my last things at my house, and then I'm here with 400 bucks, and now I can't make a living, now I'm homeless. So, of course, that happens. But the majority of people that are, that are houseless here in Hawaii – um, or what we call the invisible homeless, so those who uh, don't have any property to call their own, so they're bouncing around from friends' houses, they're couch surfing, they're staying on the beach for a weekend, then they stay in their friend's car, and then they just jump around a lot. Um, and a lot of those individuals actually are, are underage too. Um, so it's really unfortunate that we see this really big population of those who don't have shelter. And, again, that's my thought process. It's because our housing market in Hawaii is geared towards an investment model and not for getting people into shelter. Um, and that's, you know, the unfortunate part is we have a booming investment market in ha- on homes and houses and uh, condos just being bought up by um, outsized foreign, uh, Chinese, Japanese investment. Um, 
and then being flipped into Airbnbs or, or being renovated and flipped for four or five times the amount. And for anyone who's been born and raised here, any local individuals, it's just so out of reach for someone to have to pay, you know, the median house price range in Hawaii right now is $800,000 a year or $800,000 for one house. So that's wow. For someone who's, you know, working minimum wage, which is in Hawaii, $10. That's, I mean, that's a, a dream that I can only imagine owning a home in their home state. Yeah, and I know that's one, uh, and we do have uh, callers in. If you'd like to chime in, just push the one on your number dial, and I'll definitely get you into the show. Uh, so I do see a number out there. Uh, just push the, the one, and we'll get you in. And that's something I know that, you know, you've, you've worked on is, is the minimum wage, and that, that may be where you and I might part some company on uh, because, to my understanding, sure. you support, uh, like, a $15 an hour minimum wage, Whereas I, I don't, <laughs> I think that's too high. Sure. I mean, sure. I know people who worked 30 years at a company and now who make, who, who make $15 an hour. And if, if they just mm-hmm. raise a lot of folks up to make 15 bucks an hour, uh, the people who, who work right. all those years to make it, they're, they're not going to get a raise. Um, sure. But, no, but that's what they right. support if I'm correct. Yeah, I am supportive of it. And I think this is comes to a, you know, it really depends on your your locality as well. And I think just because of the nature of uh, the disparity in Hawaii, the disparity of, of income and wages, the $15 an hour still, in my opinion, if you make $15 an hour in Hawaii, you're still under the poverty rating. You're still living in poverty because it's so difficult to even rent. I mean, to rent a one-bedroom studio, you're looking at 1800 bucks a month. Um, you know, and that's if you want to be close to town, you know what I mean? If you want to be close to your job, if you don't want to have to take, you know, uh, the bus, which is five bucks, you want to ride the bus one for one day, you know, and you want to be on it for two and a half hours, you know, if you value time with your family, if you value living in Hawaii and want to spend a little bit of time in the sun, you know, 15 bucks an hour is just so un, unfathomable to be making per hour. Um, it's still, what, like $36,000 a year. That's, you can't make it. I mean, especially for on two incomes, it's still difficult. Um, so, yeah, I'm a supporter of a $15 an hour, but I also, and this is something I reiterate time and time again, is that that's only solving a symptom of a larger problem that we have, not only in Hawaii, but I think around the nation, is that we have to keep coming back and asking for more and more and more. So there has to be something else wrong. And my opinion of it is that we have a system that values uh, more profit gaining and and sharing among shareholders and it does value actual labor. Um, And, you know, labor is only, isn't controlled by the individual anymore. You know, it's really controlled by those who, uh, you know, have, I guess, the say at the top, you know, and that's really disheartening. I mean, we see Amazon that just crested the number one company pretty much in the world right now. You know, Jeff Bezos is the, the, the most wealthy gentlemen in the world and they paid zero dollars in taxes last year and that's just you know it's just unfathomable that they make hand over fist money but have yet well, to pay into our system well when i and, and that's an interesting point because i mean i think one of the reasons and you know this may sound jaded but i think one of the reasons mm-hmm. why, and for one i mean and i and i get and i understand you know that the maybe 15 dollar an hour uh in hawaii or other places that have really high uh, levels of you know of living, cost of living, 
But I mean, I, I you know, you, they're talking about it like a, a federal fifteen dollar an hour, which I think would be ridiculous. And the point I'm just getting ready to make is, I mean, for me, they're they're trying to talk like, oh, well, we, we care about these people and giving them a living wage. But then one thing that people I don't ever hear people talking about when they talk about raising the minimum wage. No, I've never hear anyone who who, who supports it has ever said anything about it, and that is, well, if you're going from $10 an hour to $15 an hour, it's probable you're going to be also getting to a new tax bracket. So it almost mm-hmm. seems to me at least, and I said this might seem jaded, is that the whole race – and I'm not saying for yourself, you know, Randy, but I'm saying for perhaps some mm-hmm. politicians at least who want it on a national level – are saying, look, hey, this, this, this is a way for us to get more tax dollars in because you know it's going to knock, uh, knock people to the next, in, into a higher tax bracket. So now the government, the federal government, or the governments are going to be able to collect higher taxes. So, I mean, are they really going to be making more sure. money because now they're in a higher tax bracket and they're getting taking more money out of their check? Sure. No, that's a really interesting point. And, you know, I would – I would definitely, you know, caution individuals when they when they do see an increase of their their pay, to also look at what they would have to be now paying in taxes. So you're right, you know. Uh, but one thing it's it's interesting to note in Hawaii is that we have a regressive tax structure. So for instance, those at the top uh, income earners and Hawaii just now uh, there's a new study that came out as number four in the nation for the, the most amount of millionaires who either reside or, or own property in Hawaii. Uh, but at the very, very top, we have uh, a 7% uh, they pay into our tax system, and that's including property taxes, uh, income taxes, and then what we call our general excise tax, or GET. It's almost like the sales tax in Hawaii, but it's a tax on everything. We're talking food, medical equipment, uh, anything you use money in our economy in, besides speculation, you're going to be paying a GEP tax. And then those at the bottom, so, um, you know, individuals who you know, probably are at poverty line or below, or maybe even a little bit over, they pay about 11% of their uh, income, which is income tax, property tax, and GE tax to their taxes, which in my opinion really doesn't make too much sense because, you know, for individuals that are spending their money in the economy and having to buy food constantly and, you know, paying for repairs on their car and, and you know, really participating in the economic uh, structure that we have, for them to have to fork over 11% of $36,000 $36, a year is, is insane for someone who's making, you know, say $300,000 a year and only paying 7%. You know, the, it's just uh, – it's never going to be able to catch up to the services we want to give individuals, right? For those who can, you know, be, be okay with living on $300,000 a year and only paying 7%, they're going to, to still have a huge nest egg that they're going to be able to fall back on if they have, you know, a family emergency or things of that nature. And that's why a lot of people in Hawaii are just one car accident, one death in the family, one, uh, one really disaster away from being homeless. It happens all the time. I see it. Personally, I've had people stay at my house because they couldn't afford, you know, to even live in the market. Yeah, and unfortunately, that's that's a reality a lot, you know, and a lot of folks these days as well. But we have Suzette on the line. Uh, she'd like to chime in. Uh, and so let's go ahead and uh, bring in Suzette. Thank you very much uh, for coming to the show, Suzette. How are you tonight? I'm well. Thank you for having me on, Robert. Hello to your guest well, from Hawaii. I used to nice live there a uh, while back. Oh, nice. <laughs> on Oahu, I, I'm sure you're familiar oh, with great. the crater. 
Oh, yeah, absolutely. Diamond Head, I'm sure. <laughs> yes, <laughs> uh, the Alio Manu creator. Anyway, um, I have a question for you. Um, mm-hmm. The policies it, it, within the state, because there are not very many average people, low income, even really medium income, I guess that's we don't really have too much of a middle class. It's coming back now, but <laughs> anyway, um, they pay federal tax. Federal tax is for usually the higher income um, brackets, and so mm-hmm. I was under the impression that um, any type of uh, financial or economic, you know, problems or, or prosperity um, comes from state policies, and um, because I live in California. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, we've, <laughs> we're not doing so good. Yeah, you know, we haven't been for a little while. But, um, yeah, so what are your thoughts on that? Um, so, I mean, I would consider that when I first moved to Hawaii, I was in probably the lower uh, income bracket in in, uh, in Hawaii, and I, I definitely paid federal taxes. Um, you know, I just left the service, so I did six years of uh, service in the military in the Air Force, um, and I got out and finished my contract and moved to Hawaii to start over to kind of refresh and, and find myself. And so I found a job, you know, making uh, part-time doing heating, ventilation, air conditioning. And even then, something that was a specialized trade that, you know, probably in, say, Alaska or uh, even maybe somewhere in the Midwest, that would probably be making a very good living in Hawaii. I was only making about $13 an hour um, part-time, which was, you know, I had to triple up. Uh, with a roommate in a two-bedroom home. And, you know, the taxes that were taken out at the end of the year, I actually uh, had to owe taxes um, my first year. And then the second and third year, I pretty much made even, so I didn't get anything back in my tax returns. But And I didn't have to really pay anything in, in uh, um, Hawaii state taxes. I think it was about 30 30 or $40 um, altogether. Um, but one thing that I saw that really could have helped me uh, was uh, an earned uh, a working uh, earned income tax credit or something of that nature. Someone who who makes a uh, under a certain bracket, something under a certain amount, could get a kickback mm-hmm. at the end of the year. You know, 300 bucks extra from uh, my tax returns could have you know kept me afloat at the time and uh, maybe helped me you know get a car repair or something of that nature. So, I mean, I, I hear definitely that the federal taxes are the ones that can uh, are maybe the ones people can get by with. And then the state taxes are the ones that will hit you hard. But when you're that, I guess, under that bracket, like you said, there's no really middle class uh, in, in Hawaii at all. I mean, it's either those who are struggling and having seven or eight people in a home or those who own those really high level condos uh, that are start at a million, million and a half, two million. Um, so really, those, those kind of small areas doesn't really even make a difference. You know, it's either you're you're scraping by or you're doing just fine and you're on your jet ski out in Waikiki Beach having a great time. <laughs> hmm. Okay. I was just curious. Thank you for answering my question and thank you for your service. Yeah. And um, oh, I appreciate it. Thank I'm you glad so you much. found your way. I'm sorry you had to move <laughs> away. Yeah, certainly. And we have uh, Dr. Tolbert on the line. Uh, he's got uh, some questions that also, and then uh, we'll uh, bring him in. Thank you very much, uh, Dr. Tolbert, for coming to the show. How are you tonight? Thank you, and I appreciate allowing me uh, to come on. Um, just for your information, I happen to be a doctor of education and retired military, 
and I write letters directly to the president concerning many issues. And I'm also running for the U.S. Senate, Florida, as a no party. And my question is, awesome. do you yeah. know what H.R. 25 is, fair consumption tax, and the elimination of the IRS, and what's your thoughts on that? H.R. 25, is that the, the FAIR Act, I think? Yes, it's called the Fair Tax Act, and it okay. was actually also phrased as the consumption tax where you close down the IRS because of its unconstitutionality. You then let the states collect the taxes, and then instead of having uh, the uh, taxpayer paying directly to the federal government, it's the time of purchase. Mm -hmm. So then the equality of taxation is based on what you buy, and then there's a return for the low-income families. And this was actually presented about 12 to 14 years ago, and it's still sitting in the uh, Congress, and it has yet to be passed. Have you read up on it? Interesting. I I actually haven't heard. I've heard somewhat of, you know, the eliminating of, eliminating of the federal income tax for sure, uh, but I've I, I'm vaguely familiar with this, uh, the HR 25. I have heard of it, but I haven't dove into it. Um, and it's an interesting concept, you know, um, because if we allowed it to go to the States, um, you know, I would like to, to maybe research a little bit of how the federal programs would be funded. You know, for example, um, our United States military, the biggest federal um, organization in our country, um, would the States help, I guess, kick back some, um, well, what happens under the H.R. 25 is, let's say the states collected 14% every time you made a purchase. The state would only keep 2%. Mm -hmm. 1% would go toward education because you'd close down mm -hmm. the Department of Education because it's unconstitutionality under the uh, 10th Amendment. And 1% would go to Medicare or Medic Medi uh, to take care of the health. The balance right. then goes directly to the federal government, so the federal government still gets what it's supposed to, where the uh, Congress can then assign and accomplish its budgeting under H.R. 25. But what it does, that means any illegal immigrant, anyone that's working on a daily basis that is not claiming taxes, any tourist mm -hmm. or any other individual came within your state or travel would then be paying toward the federal taxation, and that's why it's called the fair tax law or consumption tax. Yeah. And if you pull it up, the articles that I've written under calleddutyat.org, or if you just go to your online and pull up H.R. 25, and mm -hmm. the question is, in the position you're going to be in and what's happening with the taxation and the issues of taxation, how it would reduce the federal government back down to its 17 responsibilities and get the IRS out of what they're doing to manipulate different groups of individuals through 501c3s, which were unconstitutional, and other issues. Gotcha. And that was the big thing about it. Interesting. Well, I'm definitely going to save that. I'm going to put that on a, a document and look that up and, uh, and dive into that for sure. I appreciate, Good, I appreciate that your up. time. Yeah, thank you. And, and and so, you know, there's one one person for the seat, you know, that you know, getting in there. Mm -hmm. Uh and 
Yeah, you know, we st- we still got uh, some time. I, I was, you know, told you you'd be able to give us about an hour here, so we got about twenty minutes there. Yeah. And, and so sure, you know, sure. I, I know it, you know it, each candidate uh, you know we we speak to has probably has their kind of like two things. One, you know, overall what they want to get accomplished, you know, in the uh, mm-hmm. in their you know their seat when they when they if they get elected, and then of course then there's that one topic. Uh, you know, they cut they had their overall big picture of what they want to get accomplished, but then they have you know a couple other of their you know, I don't want to say pet issues. I kind of I don't want to mean it that way, but they're you know the the ones they want to specialize mm-hmm. in or the ones they're real passionate about. Uh, so two things: one is sure. you know what would be your you know your overall you know grand scale of what you'd want to get accomplished as uh, the state representative, you know, or at least be a part of, and then what would be something you'd want to maybe spearhead, uh, you know, to get accomplished in Hawaii. Sure. This is a little bit of a loaded question, but I'll try to answer it as much as I can in succinct fashion. Um, I graduate uh, with my master's degree in uh, a program called Global Leadership and Sustainable Development. And uh, throughout this, this program, but also throughout my experiences, you know, traveling the world with the military, um, diving in economic issues in different places, um, and then falling in Hawaii and seeing this, this interesting economic and political sphere is that uh, historically, if you look back in Hawaii, 150 years ago, uh, before uh, uh, it was colonized or, or occupied uh, by the United States, that Hawaii was one of the most forward, um, I guess you could even call it progressive modern countries in the world. Um, you know, they had a 100%, 100% self-sustainable. They grew all their own food, uh, never imported um, uh, pretty much anything they, they were able to take from the resources that they had, but live within the ecosystem to be uh, a sustainable place. They ended women's suffrage years before uh, America did. They had uh, almost 90% literacy rate years and years before America did. So they were really um, on the edge of forward-thinking um, thought that we would consider a successful country these days. So really trying to take that old knowledge and bring it to the new knowledge within sustainability. So. For example, we have a lot of uh, agriculture land in Hawaii, but unfortunately it's not being made to cultivate uh, food for our people. And as you know, um, you know, having to get things to Hawaii, I mean, we oh, not only do we pay extra to ship things here, but it takes a lot longer. <laughs> yeah. So, for instance, I bet. <laughs> coming from a national security standpoint, you know, if we had uh, – we heard about the fiery reddit coming from North Korea about having a missile land, you know, anywhere close right. to the states, and Hawaii is the closest it could be. If they took out our port, we would have about seven days of food for 1.6 million people. So Oof. that is extremely scary, um, especially for people who, who have had generations. You know, their grandmothers lived you – know, their great-grandparents lived in Hawaii where they had just to go down the road to their, to their friends and family to get whatever they needed, you know, uh, building things for their house, uh, getting food for their family, the clothes on their back is all made from uh, things at home. So trying – my main goal in uh, – this is a – you know, obviously it's going to take a while to get there, but to turn that corner of sustainability for Hawaii because we do see it happening on a little – on a very small scale. We have a lot of farmers out here that are, that are cultivating the local product called talo, which is a, a taro, which is a starch um, that is – kind of kept people, you know, uh, given a sustainable food source for decades here, but it has gone away and been replaced by monocropping of, of corn or sugar mm-hmm. or pineapple and even cattle. Right. Um, so really trying to bring back diversified agriculture 
So bring back the mm-hmm. local plants that have helped sustain people forever. Bring back some hemp. I mean, hemp is a phenomenal crop that could be, you know, used 100 or 1,001 uses. It can be made into concrete. It could be made into building materials, you know, shirts on your back. Um, and it could be cultivated right here. You know, it brings jobs. It increases economic development. You know, it keeps people home. And it could drive down housing prices by keeping all those uh, building materials here. So my big vision for Hawaii is to, to really turn that corner and stop relying on those on the outside and start relying on ourselves because we have all the resources. I mean, the beautiful, beautiful resources in Hawaii, the, the clean water, um, the beautiful sun that we get all year round to cultivate crops, things like that, and really incentivize, you know, not all kids have to go to college. You know, if you want to become a farmer and, and work a hard, honest living, you can absolutely do that in Hawaii because we have the space the year-round sun and things like that. And it's such a part of the culture of the Native Hawaiians and the the old style uh, here in Hawaii that it also comes with a ton of sense of place, sense of belonging um, that is lacking in Hawaii again. So that's my main goal is to kind of help push us towards that in a way from dependence on uh, outside sources, on on large corporations to to feed us, things of that nature, and get back to kind of... Mm -hmm. I wouldn't call it a simpler living, but something that's more sustainable. And then something I'd like to spearhead, I think for sure, is one, actually bringing uh, human qualities back into our government process. So one thing our campaign is doing is we're, we're, we've really taken the role as a public servant and not as a politician. So we're out in the community every week, uh, multiple times a week, whether it's serving our elderly you know, going to uh, serve breakfast to them. There's a, a local community center we can go serve. You know, it's either going out and helping uh, repair some of the school gardens, um, whether it's out going and, and participating in sign-waving events to tell kids to, you know, wait till they're 21 to drink, things like that. And we don't see that much in Hawaii anymore. A lot of the politicians have their offices, and they, they you know, try to pass legislation, and they stay there, and they don't really come out and get on the ground level with the community. And one thing that I did yesterday was just go to a homeless fair or a houseless fair, excuse me, using my own words, um, and really being, being able to talk to these individuals and saying, okay, how did you become houseless? You know, what do you need? What kind of service would be the most beneficial to you? You know, and then hearing them out, and they're like, you know, you're the first individual that has anything to do with the, the government or structure that I've even talked to. And I'm not even elected. So really trying to bring that humanizing factor back to politics uh, that we consider our state representative someone that we can turn to if we have an issue, not someone that we have to call and get, in, get, get their staff and then get put on hold and then take a message and then maybe get followed up on, you know, in the legislative session. So those are kind of the two avenues that I'm, I'm really hoping to at least not only perpetuate, but bring up to the consciousness of voters and saying that, hey, our voice does matter as long as we vote for it. We can actually turn that tide of sustainability. You know, I studied policy in that way, so it's definitely doable, but the political will has to be there. Well, and I'd say that, um, because we've got, a little bit, so we've got a little bit of time here, which is good, is I would say what even might be a, a more loaded question than those good things. I like division. Mm-hmm. You know, sure. you know, I do. I mean, uh, I'm a, I was actually for a, for a time until actually very recently, actually this past, uh, I guess May or not May, March maybe. I was a mm-hmm. registered Green Party guy, so uh, oh, cool. I went from uh, Republican to Independent Green Party. So I'm, you know, I'm, I, I 
really favor a multi-party system at all. similar to Ireland, but um, that's, you know, but that's a story for another day, so to speak. But uh, one thing I did look for and unfortunately was not able to find, uh, and here's a question for you, mm-hmm. and you, you may or may not know uh, this, 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 this part of the campaign, but do you know what the polls are saying right now mm-hmm. uh, at this point, uh, you know, with the, with the candidates? And uh, if so, uh, you know, what are they? And, and if you're, you know, lagging behind so much, I'll be honest, I looked, I, I couldn't find any. Uh, what would you do to mm-hmm. you know to to bring yourself back uh, on the top? Oh, I, okay. It's Hawaii again is really difficult to to tell, um, especially on these really small local races. Um, they, I would say, ninety percent of the time don't poll um, state house races um, unless there's a. It really might be why I couldn't find one. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And I've looked into it myself to see, like, you know, how could I poll. And uh, I contacted the, the biggest agencies that do polling in Hawaii, and they quoted me at around 12 grand. And you know, for someone who's running a campaign um, who doesn't take any uh, money from the establishment, doesn't take any money from the corporate class, doesn't take any money from the huge developers that are building the big, you know, multi-level condos downtown. You know, I'm really doing a grassroots community-level campaign where, you know, all close to 100 of my uh, donations so far it's come within my district it's not on my side of the island um so it's really hard for me to be all like in, in you know as a campaign team say okay like yeah let's put twelve thousand dollars towards the poll and see where we're at but yeah. the reactions gotcha. we get when we go door to door and canvas and the reactions we get when we go and feed our elderly every wednesday and friday and the reactions that we get when we're out helping uh the schools rebuild their gardens and stuff is so positive and, and so great and it fills so much people with joy that I know for a fact that we're the front runners in this race and everyone is trying to catch up and, and model our way because at these events that we've been going to slowly but surely the other candidates start showing up to because they know that oh, we're good. actually making a change even before we're elected. I mean we're actually talking about homelessness and solving this issue with these houseless fairs and, and outreach and we're not even in office. So it just goes to show that this has to be a bottom-up approach. It can't be a top-down type approach. So, you know, we're doing all the right things, in my opinion, you know, and I'm running the campaign that I want to. So my biggest piece right now is just continue doing what I'm doing and affecting change, you know, at a grassroots community level because that's really, for one, what makes a difference. And, two, it's going to win the hearts and minds of, of everyone because they see how effective it is. But yeah, I definitely want to you know hear any updates or, or things. Now, when is the uh, when is the vote? So the election's coming up August 11th. That's the primary, and because we are a oh, one-party yeah. state, primary is the uh, is the election to win. So it's pretty much going to be a winner-take-all. So no one had filed in any, any of the other parties. So whoever wins on August 11th is going to be the de facto uh, representative. Um, but then the mail-out ballots actually drop. Um, July 16th. So July 16th is really a target date to get as many people uh, to vote as we can because mail-out ballots are pretty high here. I would say it's about a little more than 50% of people vote by mail. Oh, wow. And uh, and that also includes early voting. So if they vote by mail, they can vote early. So we really have about a month month until the election. Well, we had a – that actually had candidates here. Real quick, but I do got two more callers, and I want to be able to get them in before you yeah, got to go, unless you're able to stay longer than we said. But let's go ahead and uh, oh, we've got uh, let's go ahead and bring in Kelly. 
thank you very much, uh, Kelly, for coming to the show. How are you tonight? Yeah, I'm doing good. I'll give you some news about the California primary later. But, uh, yeah, Randy, uh, uh, good luck on your campaign. Obviously, from what I'm Thank hearing, you. yeah, you, you are really caring about a lot of people. I'm actually libertarian, and I like whatever candidate's going to be the best for the people. And I like how you've described mm-hmm. the political history and how, yeah, it's highly Democrat, but there's a, a spectrum of Democrats. And it tells me you've learned an awful lot <clears throat> and really considered. Um, you know, I'm just giving a lot of compliments here, but I want to go ahead and <laughs> throw out some things about the Please homeless. Please them on. <laughs> he will not resist. <laughs> okay. But anyway, uh, I work with the homeless uh, here in uh, okay. California, volunteer at the homeless shelter. I'm an engineer to we turned in plans the other day, second round, so we can build a building. House 30 people wow. in the city here. We got a, about 100, and we were only putting a dent in the problem. But um, yeah. here's a solution that I want to throw out to you, okay? Sure. Again, civil engineer, I'm the guy that does you know the subdivisions, the parcel splits, yada, yada, roads, whatever, and uh, bare ground a building. Okay, so the... Restrictions out in the rural areas, okay, mm-hmm. for people to do subdivisions. If you have a look at that, and all of okay. a sudden there's a huge supply of land, huge mm-hmm. supply of land, the housing prices are going to drop like crazy. And uh, this happened back in 1972 with a subdivision map back federally. The states were required to do this, and then they brought in planning and the environmental impact process. Your EIRs, California, we have CEQA, it's about three or four inches thick, California Environmental Quality Act. But what these two things have done, the Subdivision Map Act and number two, um, the EIR requirements, it has choked the supply of land, okay? So from 1972 to 1982, housing prices in 10 years, housing prices tripled. It, it choked the supply of land. I have no idea how people can live in a median home, 800,000, and we've got homeless all over the place in California. Mm-hmm. I think we're number two for – if I was homeless, yeah, I'd like to be rather in Hawaii than California. But the the sure. choking of the supply of land has got to stop. Yes, agreed. So agreed, if you agreed. can and, – and it... Go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> We're tripping I'll, over it, each it, other too. <laughs> I, yeah, I think this is actually it's even you know more uh, you know almost aggravated in Hawaii it's because the lack of land that we do have left, um, and I think that's one of the biggest problems um, in Hawaii. But specifically on Oahu, you know we're the most densely populated. We have about a million people on these on this island itself, and then split out above the other uh, four islands. There's a, a you know about six hundred thousand people, but on this island. You know, the land is actually going, you know, there's barely any land left. You, either you're going to be buying a home that's already built, um, you're going to be purchasing in a high-rise, or uh, the land is already held uh, by the state or by a private entity for one reason or the other. So to find a lot to even build on is like finding a needle in a haystack in Hawaii. It's yeah, it's hard. I mean, yeah, except for the fields out in the – but I haven't been to a while. I've, I've actually been to uh, Maui. 
and I know that, oh, great. that they call it yeah. the Big Island. Yeah, honeymoon many years ago, but uh, drove around the big part because it's hourglass. It's somewhat of an hourglass shape, and there was tons sure. and tons of land. Part of it was sacred though, because there was an ancient uh, Hawaiian culture that got wiped out by a lava flow. So I can understand why mm-hmm. that is sacred, um, or mm-hmm. parks, or what have you. Um, so the um, <clears throat> if there's something that can be done. You know, maybe people would rather, you know, go from Oahu over to, to Maui, um, where there's a lot more land, however that works. Um, in California, we have so much land, it's ridiculous. It's just not and, – and they and here they've choked the supply, and they're doing other things more recent. I just yeah, want to scream. Um, so, yeah, that's that's one – and it really didn't catch I up to us. I appreciate that. I'd say, yeah, and, you know, a local – a local surveyor and or a local civil engineer could probably give you some better tips than, than what I'm giving mm-hmm. today. And then the other tip is if people are in the rural areas, if if the rural area people get to vote on how they use their land, because what's, for example, right. um, if I live in a county, I can't vote in, in city matters, you know, like Wairika or Redding or Sacramento. But if I Correct. live in the city of Sacramento, I can vote for things out in the county. Now, why are the city folks mm-hmm. telling the rural people what they can and can't do with their land? Yep, so, exactly. Yeah, so the rural people should be able to decide, even amongst townships. A township is 36 sections, six miles by six miles. So if, if, if people in a township would be able to determine what type of developments go in and out or not or how quick to – do homes, it's going to solve. It's it, it's simple supply and demand. Um, you know, my heart bleeds for people that are. Last night I went and get a friend. I took her through drive-through. It's friends. Long story. Her and her husband. There just something happened between jobs and picked them up. Went to the drive-through. Got them some food. They're almost homeless themselves between jobs. It's just really. Um, it's just sad. I, I can only do so much. Right. right. You're absolutely right. And I'm really glad you brought that up, actually, because uh, there was something in Hawaii for the longest called the home rule, H-O-M-E, home rule. So each uh, county um, is pretty much an, one island is a county. So the island of Oahu is Honolulu County. Uh, island of Maui is Maui County, things of that nature. They used to be able to say, you know, we have home rule. So the state, you know, it's a state legislature. They can't make rules um, but supersede home rule. Um, so again, this is exactly what you're talking about. That uh, you know, that individual counties can can decide what they want. They can decide on on land issues, on what they want to bring in. They can decide on development and, and new tourist options and things like that. But that has been superseded time and time again. And home rule, while on the books, has not meant much of anything, uh, unfortunately. Um, and that again, court. I completely agree with you that we need to have um, that that home rule back and. Time and time again, it's happened in Hawaii where we've, uh, you know, the island of Kauai, the majority of their agriculture land is owned by uh, agro, agrochemical businesses. So Pioneer, Dow, uh, Monsanto, Syngenta. Um, and, you know, when we are getting choked of supplying our own food, they're doing test crops. So they're testing uh, by spring pesticides uh, uh, on most of our agriculture land out there. And then Kauai County ruled saying, hey, you know, we no longer want you guys spraying pesticides here. We want to grow our own food. Um, and then Dow took them to court, and they won in court. And now it has to go to the state level. And that's where all the money is. 
So unfortunately, there's looking like there's going to be no movement in that, and they're only expanding their power on the island. So I, I feel oh, wow. you right there, and that's something that I hope to be pushing up against, you know, when we get elected. Huh. Well, well I know yeah. for I, California. I want to go ahead and finish. I'm sorry. There's actually a Democrat. Hello? Hello? Hello. (laughs) There's a Democrat that's actually suing the DNC. Corruption in California. Her name is Maria Estrada. And yes, she is. She's filed the papers. She's, she's, was running for 63rd district here in California. And, uh, oh yeah. She's got a class of actions that going for her district because of what the Democrat, her, colleague, I guess you'd say. I don't know. Running mate or opposite. Anyway, she's running against him. And what happened with that? Because there's chromium hexagon six that he allowed to to happen there in their district. And then the corruption. um, The corruption just within the DNC altogether. She knows a lot of stuff that had gone on here in California. Um, Uh, And and this even goes to sexual harassment and everything else. (laughs) And just, yeah, so... Anyway, wow. I just thought I'd let you know in case you watch. Yeah, well, I want to take a look at that. I would love yeah. to, if I could, if I had the resources, you'd bet I would, uh, you know, take out a lawsuit because of the, the the lack of foresight that our state has had and what it, the position it's put people in to really, you know, choose. Um, sometimes it's against their own will of their family, you know, their paycheck over spending time at home or or even living in a place that they have generations of lineage and genealogy here. It's so sad. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, well yeah. the uh, the uh, I want to go back to a little bit, too. I, I don't want to be stuck on the homeless situation, but uh, banks sure. love banks love oh, environmentalism, and banks love planning codes. They love mm-hmm. it because it chokes the supply. They get more interest. Absolutely. That's one of the worst corporations there is. The banksters is what I call you them, the corporate bet. banksters. You name it. Yeah. You yeah. got it. And it's, it's. I would even say, and I keep saying this over and over, and I, I hope I don't sound like a pork director, but it's even more aggravated in Hawaii. I mean, we have, you know, the banks in Hawaii have so much power um, and political power. We've had a lot of uh, movement on our bank boards to elected office, to mayor, to governor, to sitting incumbents, and that type of interaction, which isn't reported on often, uh, but we all pretty much know it because there's not many people, you know, we can totally tell who's been the, you know, sitting on the board of Bank of Hawaii for a long time and now is our mayor. You know what I mean? So it's, you're absolutely right. This, this higher bank kind of, what we even call elite class has got such And a the people are intimidated. For what's going on. Absolutely. They're intimidated yeah, they won't run. Yeah. 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 Just call them, just call them banksters. Right. And I would like love gangster. to see a rise. I would love to see a rise in, um, you know, bringing more of uh, credit unions into the fold and, and getting people to, to pull their pull their resources together to look out for each other um, instead of looking out for, you know, the ones that have the power at the top. It's, and, and I think we will start to see that eventually. And something I have a little bit more time. I'm going to go a little bit on the tangent here. So forgive me, but something that I see us Moving oh, forward is what I call a, a sharing economy or a collaborative commons in our world today. It's because our current uh, economic model, you know, that the capitalist uh, market where we try to reduce our marginal cost to as low as possible so we can produce more and bring in more profit, 
is never really taken into account the fact that now with the Internet of Things, if you heard of the concept of the Internet of Things, is that we're able to produce goods and services at a zero marginal cost or at almost a zero marginal cost. So, for example, we see a tons of newspapers going out of business because, you know, just right here, we're on a talk show and we're able to do a blog back and forth and, and you're putting out information at literally zero cost to you except for you buying your laptop, maybe buying a, a nice microphone, things of that nature. And it's taking this, this market that we've had, this capitalist economy, and throwing it on its head because now those newspapers can't compete in the sharing economy where you're sharing your information with me, I'm sharing information back. Um, and it's really going to take over almost every part of our lives in the next, I would say, in my generation. I'm turning 30 this year, so by the time I'm 60, I'm guaranteed that we're going to have you know, a 3D printer in my home. And if you know, my air conditioner is broken and I need a part for it, I'm going to call my buddy down the road who's been doing air conditioning for 30 years. He's going to send me the blueprint for my part. I'm going to print it out, throw it into my air conditioner, and if I'm the farmer in the community, I'm going to throw in the month's supply of, of herbs and vegetables, and we're going to be in this kind of bartering economy where we don't even have to participate in the market anymore. So I really feel like it, it's coming to a point where we're going to have to start sharing our resources and to have leaders in place that are going to be saying that this is uh, okay and not, not catering to the higher class that want to commodify all these, these resources is going to be really important. I mean, think about solar, for example. Hawaii, you get sun all year round. Solar panels are popping up on every home. Um, our Hawaiian electric company may be gone in the next 30 years because if I'm on a grid and my neighbor's on a grid, we're going to hook up together and I'm on vacation, I'm just going to share my solar energy with him. And he's not have to pay eco for a dime, you know, the Hawaiian electric company. So, the sharing economy is really going to take our economic model and flip it on its head. And if we don't have leaders with that forward thinking mindset about how we can really reduce costs on commodifying our, you know, really all of our goods, then it could just keep going to the top. And these banks just could keep owning all of these companies and they will really be draining us for every cent, every service we need, everything we need just to get through life. It's going to be owned by those who have the capital to, to purchase these companies. So do you have a state bank? Hopefully. We do have a state it, bank. It, um, okay. It, well, it's a, I ask, a, a national bank. Okay. Well, the reason why I ask is because North Dakota <clears throat> survived the 2007 and 8 real estate bubble. They were a lot more careful in how mm -hmm. they loaned, and now they they were in a good position to help the oil industry. I just got a call from a friend that's just Not getting back good. from there for a short time, but they're going like crazy, creating so many jobs. It's insane, but the the state bank was a big part of that, and then local community banks are really the key to bust the big banks. Yes. Yes. So I don't know what kind of regulations the state has, because if the state can lighten up on community banks and credit unions, mm -hmm. there you go. That's. I think you're absolutely right, and I would love to help you know, put some policies in place, um, you know, to reduce GET taxes on some of our, our credit unions or our local banks so they can start providing more of a service that's appealing to our people. Because right now these large institutions are allowed uh, to get tax breaks. You know, some of our largest yeah. banks in, in our state do have them. So, Well, uh, see, here's the thing. Um, see, I'm free enterprise, not lobbyist capitalist, where – 
You're a big mm-hmm. business. You lobby. You get laws in your favor. You make more profit. I'm just I'm so mm-hmm. against that because I've seen so much abuse, even in the building codes. But um, what what happens? I mean, hopefully you've seen this. I didn't quite see this till I was like 35 or 40. But uh, my brother had told me this in college: the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. Well, because the rich have the money to make their political influence to, to bend the laws in their favor. You mentioned that earlier. Sure. That big corporations are paying very little in tax, you know, state taxes. But mm-hmm. you know, if you get elected, okay, you got to watch how these big power-hungry, money-hungry corporations are going to try to get you to get the laws in their favor. Um, and there's three ways they do it. Is one is the forced sale of a product. Um, mm-hmm. Another is endless regulations, and the third way there's other little tricks to kind of snuff out the, the little guy, like you know corporate law. You have to hire an attorney. I just got started. What do I need to have right. an attorney for? If I ever get sued, <laughs> guess right. what? I got to hire an attorney, corporate attorney. Yeah. See, right. you can't defend yourself. I mean, there's so many things these jokers that are up at the top have done to purposely. Make sure the little guy in competition will not emerge. I mean, exactly. they, they love writing laws. Corporations love writing laws in their favor. So, I mean, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm glad from what you're, what I'm hearing right now, you're, uh huh. What I'm hearing is you're aware of this. Um, Absolutely. And I, I'm glad. I've yeah, seen it, it as a staffer at the Capitol. I've seen it. I've seen individuals literally come in and and bring their talking points with them, and then give model legislation to legislators. You know, and say, this is what I want you to base this new law off of, you know, and, and talk about not giving the public their due diligence, you know, when they do their research and then giving their, their time and, and, you know, the legislature to testify when then they're up against how much money behind them. So that's why you start with yeah. the little banks because you become financially independent. Then you're no longer dependent on, on the federal reserve treasury or anything that has mm-hmm. to do with them and you squeeze them out. Right. Right, that's, right. That's the way to go. Yep. And and at this point, uh, and you could stay as long as you want. We we can definitely cover these topics and others we had planned for tonight. But we do have, and I want to give people uh, people time. Do, do you have time for at least one more caller? I mean, as I said, Rand, you could stay as long yeah. as you want. But we do have one more caller who'd like to speak with you. Um, I mean, we've got yeah, others on the do, line, but that's okay. One more. Okay, great. Let's go ahead and bring yeah, in Susan. Thank you very much, Susan, for coming to the show. How are you tonight? Hello, oh, I had it on mute. Uh, hello. Oh, there I you go. had it on mute. Here's the summary of your government. Oh, fine. Thank you. Okay, so we are talking about various topics, I guess, or mm-hmm. I just got in. A... So, uh, I don't know how you think all this is going to play out because we cater to the Saudi government. And they gave Obama AIDS suitcases full of jewels. That just came out. I've been warning everyone, all of you, everyone in my group, everywhere, that the Saudis are not our friends. Fox News, Saudi has money in it. So uh, if anyone can explain to me how the Saudis are our friends, 
when they do something like that, giving jewels away and bribing, then I'd like to know. No, I'm glad you brought that up because, as I mean, I don't see that playing so much on the local scale, but on, on a broader scale, national level, absolutely, when you have these special interests definitely internationally coming in. Um, but it's something that we see locally, but on a, on a smaller scale with a lot of our lobbyists here in Hawaii. And we have a huge lobbying class in Hawaii. Um, and sometimes, for example, one thing I tried to do at our, our Democratic Convention last year, they organized a lot of people behind a resolution to change our bylaws that says a paid registered lobbyist could not be the chair, chairman of our county party or our state parties. Because what we've seen in the past is when you have a paid registered lobbyist, which we've had, they would go to the legislature and testify in favor um, of an initiative that would maybe hurt working class people or that would benefit their the, the people who have given them money, their lobbyists for hire. And then that same day would go into a hearing and testify in opposition um, to a bill that would be in interest of the Democratic Party. So that conflict of interest is really throwing people off. And I would think is, is kind of right to your point is, show, is showcasing that we have so many people with their hands in the jar and willing to go to bat just to make sure that they put a buck in their bank, um, whether it be you know Saudi Arabia or on the local level here. Um, we have a, a lobby agency for hire called Capital Consultants, um, and they lobby on, on behalf of whoever is willing to pay them the money. Um, and some of these individuals are former state legislators, or they are influential people uh, who have been players in politics for a while, and they get offered plenty of money to go lobby at the Capitol. So I appreciate you bringing up that that it, special interest type, you know, a, aspect of the politics we have locally and nationally. Well, I, I, want I, to throw out I, a, I like what you said yeah. too. Yeah, Susan, can I throw out a thought from Bastiat? Sure. Uh, Bastiat was a famous French philosopher, and he said, he wrote, "The state is that great fiction by which everyone seeks to live at the expense of everyone else." <laughs> I mean, he nailed it. And if I had my way, I would say, look. Uh, any, uh, you, you can watch the profit of any corporation, all right? Now, if a legislation passes and their profit skyrockets, there needs to be some type of punishment, um, be it a big fine, excessive tax, jail time, whatever you can pick. But the penalty for a law that makes their profit skyrocket could be imposed on the lobbyist, the state house member who introduced the bill. And the corporate board. <laughs> I'm, mm. I'm sorry. How do you? How mm. else do you stop these people? Yeah. Right, for sure. I and, and don't really, know, but I. Go ahead, Susan. <laughs> oh, I do. I do know that our government, and I can back these words up, is being run by a cat is. Oh, I can't. Catastrophe. Filled with jobbernells, buffleheads, and nidgets. And all they do is tesculate, which means waving hands and arms in the air and talking complete and utter bollocks, which means confusion. Now, how the Christocracy is not a word that's used anymore, considering our politics, I do not know. But 
in case you don't know the uh, meanings of some of these words, Jabbernels are idiots. Buffleheads are dull and stupid. Midgets are fools and cowards. There you go. That's what our government's run by. Mm. Well, that's one of the reasons why we're, uh, you know, getting grassroots folks on the, you know, on the show. Uh, we do think that it's, uh, you know, we we call it uh, draining the swamp, but you know, others have different things uh, they want to associate with it. A cesspool is actually more uh, in line, and, and uh, Huckabee coined uh, cesspool. He said because at least swamps have some uh, ecological value. Uh, <laughs> so uh, comparing uh, comparing Washington and that, and, and, and even some local governments uh, to uh, a swamp probably isn't fair to swamps. But anyway, he, he did uh, say mm. that he was going mm. to. Uh, oh, we, hopefully, Dr. Tolbert's able to call back in uh, for our next discussions. Uh, but we have. Uh, but I did, you know, say get one more call in for our guest. Uh, he did give us, uh, you know, more time than what we scheduled. He, you know, of course, you're always welcome to stay, but I know how things can go. It was busy running for a campaign. So I'd like to give uh, folks, before they go, uh, closing thoughts. So I would like to give that uh, to our guest tonight before, uh, if he's got to go this evening, uh, what other closing thoughts you'd like to give us. And you guys can find more out about his campaign. Uh, and I do have that uh, linked here uh, to the uh, description page here for uh, tonight's show. Uh, and that's uh, www.randyguns.com. You could find the link here on Blog Talk Radio. Let's go ahead uh, and bring it back over to you, Randy. Thank you very much uh, for spending your time with us tonight. All right. Well, thanks again. Uh, I really, really appreciate you giving me some time today. And I think uh, talking about cesspools is a great way for me to segue out because that's actually what I'm doing my, my thesis on for my master's degree in sustainability because the district I'm running in has one of the largest cesspool issues in the nation. We have about 800 cesspools within uh, about a three-mile radius next to perennial streams that are, um, when we get a lot of flooding here in Hawaii, but the side of the island I live on is the most uh, rainfall in the state. That the, the cesspools overflow, go into our communities and are causing uh, health problems and then getting into our, our oceans, uh, degrading our reef, uh, degrading all the natural capital that we love and love to share with everyone in the world about Hawaii. Um, so, again, that's another issue that we're going to be, you know, tackling at the state legislature when we're elected. So, again, thank you all for giving us time. Please check us out at our website. You know, we are taking, uh, you know, grassroots local community donations. Um, so any individual who, who feels like they want to support grassroots candidates, you know, no matter what party they're on, you know, I think we all have more in common than we do, um, you know, that, that we don't have in common. So you know, I really appreciate any support you guys can give. And please hit me up. I have all my personal contact information on my website because I care. I really want to hear from individuals. So I'd love to take this conversation, you know, offline or, or however you guys want to get a hold of me. I'm, I'm usually always available, although busy knocking on doors and meeting people. So thanks again so much, Robert. Thanks to everybody. I really appreciate it. And I hope to keep in touch. And uh, I think you've gained another listener. So thanks again, guys. Oh, certainly. Thank you very much. And uh, you're always welcome back and get, give us updates. Uh, on the on the campaign. Will do. Aloha. Take care. All right. Look, take care. Doing. You too. Okay. Well, uh, so I tell you what. Uh, for you know, you know, we haven't had a lot of Democrats on the show. I'm glad we had them on. Uh, certainly not uh, what a lot of folks uh, expected. We all, we, you know, we've had some liberals on as well. Uh, we've even had some Green Party folks on the show. I really enjoy having them on. And certainly just what I've heard about himself and some of the things I've read about 
some of his opponents. I mean, if I was in Hawaii and I was in uh, his district uh, at this point, I think I'd, I'd, I'd vote for him. Uh, not because he just came to the show, because we have, remember, if you listen to our archives, we don't vote for everybody who's come on to the show. There's been a number of times uh, we've had people come on, and they were like, well, no, nah, no, nah, we probably wouldn't get my vote. <laughs> but, I, I, you know, that is something uh, I, I could say for, for Randy. I think it would be uh, the folks that he's uh, running against uh, definitely would. And, of course, you know, I like sus- the sustainability. You mentioned solar energy as well um, on there. So I've got some uh, green room work. Uh, to work on. I do see some other folks on who want to uh, continue. Uh, now, you brought up something. You sent me some links. Uh, uh, you sent me some links. Uh, gosh, I'm having a brain freeze. Who sent me links? Well, a lot of people sent me links. Um, oh, my gosh. I'm having such a brain freeze. Anyway, so uh, I've got some uh, green room uh, to do. And give me a moment. Robert. I'm sorry. Oh, I well, yeah, I know you did, and then I think yo, – yo, yeah, you could go on yours. I think that might have been what I was uh, – because there's a couple people, and I didn't know which uh, one to do first. But, yeah, go ahead. Well, the one that you sent me, and I'm going to try to pull those up while I'm uh, doing a little green rooming uh, back here, uh, get some texts, and I'm going to go from there. So, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was sent an email, and in the email contained a PDF file of 500 pages that happens to be the – Documents that were internal memos, emails, text messaging. Um, When the IG report came out um, for the FBI and the CIA and all of that, when he was looking into it, and Nunes' memo and all of that, there were only partial emails that were released. And now that all of them have been released, including uh, the statement that Comey had made about Hillary Clinton when he held that press conference. And when he said that nobody knew what what he was going to be saying that day, it turns out that eight other people did, and those eight other people also had a hand in creating that statement. Not only that, but they were told not to talk about it with anybody else. (laughs) They exchanged these documents back and forth to Andrew McCabe, to um, Comey, to Prestap, to... Um, what was it, the other one? Oh, Page, Carter Page, or not Carter Page, the other one, the young lady that was with Prestap, those two. Anyway, so I thought it was very interesting because it looked like they were trying to cover their butts um, when it was, when Congress had asked for these documents because now they're saying in these documents that um, it's a draft and it came about because Director Comey wanted to Imagine in his head what he would say if he held a press conference. And this is three months in advance. <laughs> hmm. These texts no, go yeah. for pages and pages and pages and pages of the conversation goes by. And it turns out that these people, these eight anyway, where these documents were going back and forth, um, are really reveal a whole lot and somebody's going to be in a lot of trouble. And then what Susan was saying with uh, Barack Obama and the jewels is like, wow, this is never ending. It's just something new all the time. More lies coming out all the time. <laughs> I just, it's wow. Amazing. Back to you, Robert. I think you got and your I, green room. And I do got an article uh, here um, that you can find on the uh, Bards Logic Political Talk website at www.bardslogicpoliticaltalk.com. Uh, and also you can, of course, go to the give page. Uh, there is only about 
uh, four more days before my uh, June goal for helping the my campaign, I should say, and sending my daughter to Italy. There's about four days before my next uh, thing that I got to submit, and so I'm doing a little bit of a, a push there. I even have a story about uh, Italy tonight and how it's worrying the globalists. So maybe that uh, you know, have things uh, stick in their head for us. But uh, I got this article here. Uh, again, you could get the news Bard's Logic newsroom at www.bardslogicpoliticaltalk.com. We can get uh, links to the articles as well as to that uh, donation page from either the website or here on Blog Talk Radio. But we've got it says finally, FBI's Hillary email scandal center of upcoming Senate hearings. And uh, we'll all uh, I'll read go through the article and then we'll all make our commentary here. And I'll probably will uh, some through the commentary. It says, Senate Judiciary Chairman Senator Chuck Grassley announced the date for a hearing on the Department of Justice Inspector General report about Federal Bureau of Investigation's official conduct head of the 2016 presidential election, including the Hillary Clinton email scandal. Uh, Originally uh, scheduled for Tuesday, the hearing will now take place at 2 p.m. on June 11th. That's only five days from now, folks. Four days before my deadline, anyway. But anyway, uh, and is open to the public. The hearing, titled "Examining the Inspector General's First Report on Justice Department and FBI Actions in Advance of the 2016 Presidential Election," will focus on the long-anticipated IG report. And by gosh, I hope that report is everything that people are hoping it would be. But anyway, it says Justice Department Inspector General Michael Horowitz. Is slated to testify before the Congressional Committees next month, presumably after the release of his long-awaited report on the FBI's Hillary Clinton investigation during the 2016 presidential campaign, Fox News has learned. And let me tell you, folks, we got to put some pressure on these people about this IG report because it best be what it's all – people are all think it's going to be cracked up to be, the crack open this, this egg of you know, corruption and, and what's going on in Spygate, as we'll be talking about later. Um, because, I mean, if we don't, everything's just going to fall apart from there, I think. I mean, it's, I hate to say that so much is hanging on this IG report, but I don't know. Anyway, um, it both the Senate Judiciary Committee and the House Oversight Committee are preparing to have Horowitz appear before them in early June, according to a congressional source. Two figures <sighs> – Director, Director Andrew McKay – uh, through my understanding, he might be looking for immunity, uh, which I have an, I think an article on that. <clears throat> well, note to self, don't eat peanuts before going to the uh, going to shell. Very bad idea. Anyway, uh, but that was by uh, my snack. But anyway, it says key officials at the center of the findings include DOJ Inspector General Michael Horowitz, who will be called to testify in front of Grassley's committee which the goal of getting questions about the politically motivated bias at the FBI answered in an open forum. House Republicans are planning to interview in June three FBI officials linked to the agency's handling of the Clinton email probe, which is part of an ongoing joint investigation by the House Judiciary and Oversight and Government Reform Committees, according to Fox News. Media outlets, including Fox and The Hill, report House lawmakers will also be holding a hearing to question Bill Priestap, Assistant Director of the FBI's Counterintelligence Division, Michael Steinbeck, former head of the agency's National Security Division, and John Giacalone, Steinbeck's predecessor. 
uh, pre-staff oversaw both the Clinton email and Russian probes and will meet with lawmakers in a closed-door hearing uh, – closed-door uh, – ahead of his public testimony, according to Fox. FBI agent Peter Stroke, who has been in the crosshairs of congressional investigations of his anti-Trump communications with colleagues, answers directly to pre-staff. And so that's uh, a development there. Hopefully uh, we'll start to crack that egg. Uh, over you know what's going on with this uh, what we call or calling Spygate, and so let's go ahead and do this in order uh, of folks to give their commentary. So first, uh, we will give it to you, Dr. Tolbert, and then Suzette, who is the one who gave me the articles because I looked those up, and then we'll bring it over to uh, you, Kelly and Susan. If anyone else would like to chime in on this topic or uh, other topics relating, push the one on your number dial. And I'll uh, get you to the show. But first, let's go ahead and bring it to you, Dr. Tolbert. Go ahead. Yeah, and I think what we did last week or a couple of weeks ago, and we have discussed this, was the impeachment of uh, Obama and Hillary Clinton and the tie-in of the, uh, their whole avenue of what they've done. In the beginning, we had Obama coming in with only $250,000. He's leaving with multiple sources of money, saying Saudi Arabia bought his books and paid a large amount, and that's how he ended up with his additional income. So everything that's being done fraudulently by the ex-president and who should be impeached and Hillary Clinton has to be the next step that the Congress has to go after. Unfortunately... They have not yet formed the committee to do that, but it is under discussion. Well, and I got – and here's an article I was uh, referring to that someone from the chat sent me uh, from The Hill, and we'll get to that uh, in a little bit, Uh, but that's on thehill.com. And so, Kelly – I'm sorry, Suzette, uh, you're next there. Would you want to make any comment on that? Or, or, or add on to anything that Dr. Tolbert was saying about the impeachment. Which I'll be honest, I'll, I I'll be honest by my ignorance. I didn't know somebody could be impeached after they were in office, but go ahead. Oh, um, I heard, yes, that they can, most certainly. Um, as far as brought back for indictment or anything like that, I'm not sure about that, so I don't know how that's going to work. Um, I know that um, McCabe has been brought up or has been recommended for prosecution, but I think I mentioned last time that um, you were on air before you were high ages, <laughs> that um, recommended for prosecution doesn't mean they're going to be prosecuted. It just means they recommended it. And as I mentioned last time, there were several people, um, you know, charged or recommended for prosecution and nothing was done. So uh, we can't get too excited. And I agree with you, Robert, as far as something better come from this IG report because everything, all our all our eggs in this basket, this one basket. Back to you. Well, yeah, certainly. I mean, and I've you know chatted with people, unfortunately, on the liberal end of the spectrum, who are already laughing that oh, it's not going to be anything, blah blah. It's like it's the same thing, blah blah blah. But I mean, and I don't want it to be you know the be all end all. Uh, but it just seems like everything's been. I mean, you got sessions, you got you know. Which I tell you what, we need to just what. Uh, I'm so disappointed with Sessions. I mean, I really wasn't a big fan of him being the uh, the Attorney General anyway. You know, I never really was. Um, but anyway, let's go ahead and bring it to you, Kelly. 
Well, with um, the uh, immunity being sought by Andrew McCabe, that could Mm be quite a huge change because not only when you go into immunity, well, first of all, what is immunity? You ask Congress or a federal judge, preferably both, um, but you ask for, I am a witness to a bigger crime than what I did. Yes, I was involved. Yes, I did some bad things, but I don't want any of the charges to be used against me. Uh, judge or Congress is, okay, we'll work out a deal. You will not be prosecuted for whatever you say or do or have done in this situation. All right, you have immunity from prosecution. Therefore, now that we've agreed, go ahead and tell us everything, and that's what they do. But not just um, all sorts of firsthand facts from, say, McCabe, um, but also what can come forward is a bunch of witnesses. Who else should we subpoena? Oh, Bob Doe, Susie Sally, uh, Robert Jetter. Um, <laughs> teasing. Um, so it's a really nice way to get more witnesses um, once immunity. And I'm sure some people are like, uh-oh, uh-oh, uh, we've got to shut McCabe up. I hope he doesn't end up dead. Um, <laughs> Susan McDougall got immunity before a grand jury, but she wouldn't speak. Why wouldn't she speak? Because she would end up dead. So she went to jail for 18 months because she wouldn't testify with immunity before a grand jury. Poindexter had immunity, and he spilled the beans, and then he got prosecuted. And in appeal, the case was dismissed because he had immunity. So it's a pretty good thing. Um, So the supposed list of sealed grand jury indictments, you know, okay, 500, then 1,000, 5,000, supposedly, or 20,000. Folks, I keep telling you, it takes time. You know, if this is really happening, if there are a bunch of um, either whistleblowers or immunity given, um, to get some of the big top people like the Clintons, you have to have a bunch of witnesses. So you start at the bottom of the totem pole. You charge them, hey, you know, you got 30 years looking at here, but we'll give you five. Half of that will be on probation. Otherwise, hey, we're going to throw 30 years at you. Do you want to talk? And they... They squeal like a stuck pig, so you got to work up the chain of command. Uh, so it all takes time. Um, so it's going to be an interesting um, progression. Obviously, we're getting the focus off of Russia, 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 Russia. It sounds like the Brady Bunch. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Anyway, um, and they may not have done a darn thing. Um, I have reason to believe it could be anybody else could do the same thing if the Russians did it. Other people could, too. I'll, I'll maybe get into that later. But um, so, yeah, I just want to – there's my two cents. It's it's going to unfold over time, and if I was the deep state, I would be freaking out doing everything I can to get Trump out of office. And so oh, Sessions might be doing a well. lot. They really are. Yeah, because yeah, they know their number could be up pretty soon. Um, and so, you know, there could be a lot of people freaking out. Jeff Sessions could be really cranking, cranking behind the scenes and directing a lot of people we just don't know about. So it may not be fair well, to Sessions. Well, let's hope he's doing to, something, because if not, he's a terrible AG. <laughs> well, I would like to see Trey Gowdy, but anyway. Well, no, what about Gowdy? Oh, and here's another kicker. You know what Trey Gowdy came out not that that long ago, saying that it was, you know, that it was within the realm of the FBI to, to, to put those informants or whatever in the Trump campaign, to put the spies in the Trump campaign. That He said Trey you know, basically agreed with uh, – um, Clapper saying, "Oh, they should have been happy about uh, 
that happening. And then, of course, the degenerate Paul Ryan, he, I read an article today that, you know, he, uh, he's back in Trey Gowdy. Now, now that should uh, – think about it. Trey Gowdy surprised me. Paul Ryan does not, you know. But think about it. Well, Paul I didn't Ryan, know that. Paul I didn't Ryan know that. is going to do his very best to screw everything up before he leaves. Go ahead, Kelly. I got I did not me know that about Trey I, I did not know that about Trey Gowdy. Wow. Oh, yeah. He yeah. um, came out saying, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, the, yeah, so it's all over the place. The left, the left are, like, squealing like think about pigs. They're squealing like pigs about it. Interesting. You well, keep, here's, you keep insulting here's the, the pig. Yeah, I know. And I like bacon so much, I should probably not do that. <laughs> anyway, oh, well, I come from a long line of Jewish hog farmers, but – you know, if Trey Gowdy, you know, he of course he's an attorney, but if there was reasonable basis to believe that in the campaign, I mean, I'm looking at this subjectively, if there was reason to believe that crimes had been occurring, um, and I said reasonable with factual, signed under oath or affirmation, Fourth Amendment, thank you very much, um, then there may have been not only the right to do this, but a constitutional duty to do this. I don't know the answer, but you know, if we have some candidate in the future that's totally in bed with a foreign power, and uh, there's laws against the foreign power being involved in their campaign, wouldn't we want um, the FBI to protect us from foreign influence in elections? So, well, but I don't, I don't know. Gotta... Go ahead. Well, Robert, I do this to you a number of times where this situation looks bad, but no, here, explain it, da-da-da-da-da. Oh, okay. Um, I don't have the facts, but I would want our government to protect us from uh, an actual threat, a provable threat in our campaigns from a foreign government or anybody hostile to – you know, the, the treasonous, okay? Let's just call it treasonous or a foreign power. Yeah, I don't want them involved in our elections. I don't care what party. I do not care what party gets investigated as long as there is a legitimate facts warrant signed under oath or affirmation. Well, then that's where you put the uh... – well, and, that, and that's where you're – yeah, you're pointing out where about the proof. I mean, there has never, there hasn't been. Believe me, if there was any proof, they'd be out there by now. Now, of course, you know, if, again, speaking, to, you know, some liberals, they'd be saying, they'd say like, oh well, he just, he just got such a tight ship that you know, there's not anything going to, uh, you know, be leaking out until it's time. No, there's evidence. It's like, nah, you know, if they had it, they, well, they would already be, they'd be already down his. I would think they'd already be down. Uh, Trump's throat by now. Well, time will tell. Um, we'll see. Just we'll see. Um, I mean, I, I would prefer a grand jury doing the investigation. By the way, the grand jury has the investigations because they're the one who issues the subpoenas, not the FBI, not the Justice Department. You better get a grand jury getting out in the field. Wrote a book about it. That's a whole other story. Um, but if I was a grand jury, I could be like. Let's look at these records first of all this of this uh FISA warrant. Let's look at all this, what's going on with this Russian Russian Marsha Marsha get them confused. 
let's look at the, if I was in the grand jury, that's what I'd be doing. It's like these are false allegations here. Well, but when you're in there, yeah, you're I'd planting. You're, I mean, but but these informants are actually implanting information that's not true. Well, that's what I'm saying. If I was on a grand jury, let's get a subpoena of these people. Where'd you get this information? Did you commit perjury before a judge? We're going to indict your ass because you're trying to set up a president to to remove him based on false premise. You're going to jail, buddy. You know, first, I mean, that's one of the locals around here, man. Rumor mill, rumor mill. It's like, how do you know that? Well, such and such said that. How do they know that? Well, such and such. Do you have two witnesses? Well, no. I'm not going to continue this rumor right. mill. I mean, I well, shut so many rumor, rumor mills down. I'm, I'm sorry. That's what people do in a small town. They're bored. They pass around. How do you know that? How do you know that? Were you there? Well, uh, 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 yeah. You don't have – look, this is, this is how – I mean the scriptures are really wise. Uh, Deuteronomy 19, two witnesses. Two witnesses, Jesus said again, Matthew 18. Two witnesses, good idea. You can't put somebody to death without two witnesses. That's Hebrews. Oh, that's right. When the witch trials were going on in Salem, a bunch of pastors got together and said, hey, we need two witnesses. We need to stop killing these people with one witness. Oh, gee, the witch trials ended. <laughs> False accusations have been around since who knows when. So. Well, okay. But Gowdy couldn't explain why the FBI did not simply tell Trump that they had this person that was being an informant in his campaign. <laughs> you know, I mean, why, how do you explain that? You know, because it basically, you well, would tell so the person. Worried about it. Why weren't they in, if they're so worried about it, why weren't they in the, the Hillary Clinton campaign either? Checking that out. Exactly. <laughs> that, <that's another thing. laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and on the uh, and here's that article that someone shared in the chat for me from the Hill. Of, uh, you know, give some more details on that. Um, you know, on McCabe for uh, seeking immunity. Says former FBI Director Andrew McCabe is trying to cover his ass. No, he doesn't say that. So Andrew McCabe is seeking legal immunity in exchange for his testimony on the agency's handling of the investigation of former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton's use of private email servers. The lawyer for McCabe wrote to Senate Judiciary Committee Chairman Chuck Grassley on Tuesday seeking a guarantee of immunity for McCabe's testimony before the panel, writing that the former FBI official would plead the fifth if promptly to, prompted to testify otherwise are Clinton News Network reported. <laughs> so Mr. McCabe is willing to testify, but because of the criminal referral, he must be afforded suitable legal protection, McCabe's attorney, Michael Bromwich, wrote to Grassley, according to CNN. Hmm. But anyway, so this is a textbook case for granting uh, uh, us use immunity. Is, I guess that's a term because I've seen it in there twice. Uh, granting use uh, immunity, if this committee is unwilling or unable to obtain such an order, then Mr. McCabe will have to no cho- have no choice but to invoke his Fifth Amendment against against self-incrimination. Hmm, that's interesting. It says uh, McCabe is the subject of a criminal referral from the agency's inspector general, which has reportedly found that McCabe acted inappropriately by leaking information to a reporter and then lying about it to the FBI director, James Comey. Attorney General Jeff Sessions fired McCabe in March. Hey, the one thing Jeff Sessions has done, um, unless there's things he's done we haven't known about it yet, as you pointed out, Kelly. 
Uh, citing the internal review that found McCabe lacked candor, McCabe has insisted he acted with his authority in authorizing FBI officials to talk uh, to a reporter about an ongoing investigation surrounding the Clinton Foundation in 2016. Glassley also invited Comey, as well as former Attorney General Loretta Lynch, to testify before the committee about the Clinton email investigation, sources told CNN. President Trent then blah, blah, blah. So that's uh, – it does say it says, in April, Bromwich announced that McKay planned to retaliate by suing Trump for defamation and was considering other charges. So that wasn't a lot more detail on that, but that's a part of, you know, spy game. Getting, getting back to what you were talking about, uh, Kelly. Yeah, I mean, you know – yeah, I mean, yeah, if, if they were actually – if Russians were actually infiltrating – you know, of course, we don't, you know, want them to, to see that, you know, but, but but what does that say about the American people if, you know, are you basically saying they all were duped, you know, and into voting for Trump? I mean, but, um, I mean, of course, you know, Kelly, we're saying, you know, we, we don't want to see, you know, the, you know, that influence. It's like we don't want to see us influence, well, you know, well, some some people might want to see us influence other people's campaign. <laughs> Well, Gowdy you know, said the they like did Obama it by the book, their investigation. He said they, they did it by the book, and Americans would have wanted them to investigate it this way. Really? <laughs> I don't think so. Not like this. Not the way he's gone after Flynn, the way he went after Manafort, um, his actions waking them up with that gunpoint, Flynn losing his, you know, his house and flipping his life upside down, and for all these little things. Why, why all these little things? You know, if they're doing it by the book, apparently they're supposed to notify Congress about any any special investigations um, at least eight months ahead of time, and they didn't do that. That's not by the book. They've done everything outside the book, really, if you think about it. I mean, they have they had the leaks. You got to think about the leaks. You got to think about the lies <laughs> on their end that we know for sure are lies. Factual. It's factual. That they lied, you know, and then they are constantly feeding the propaganda machines, the media, and oh, so yeah. to think or otherwise, as far as the the legitimacy of this investigation or this spy slash informant, <laughs> it just doesn't fit, and it just keeps growing. The story grows bigger and bigger, and it seems like once we get close to closing in on them, they throw another person under the bus. As far as oh. Now, now there are spies. It wasn't us. There are spies involved, or people of M. What is that? M. Um, M. One six UK. M. I six. Over there, yeah. M. I six. Those guys came out. So they're always throwing something else as as we get closer and closer and closer. But they're going to run out pretty soon, I think. Well, I certainly hope so. Gosh darn it! There was something I was going to say, and I can't remember what it was. I'm- uh, that's the second time. I, that's the second time I did that tonight. Uh, so I was like, oh, uh, I think it had to do with Paul Ryan. I don't know, but um, yeah, when that of him coming out, and, and I, I mean, as I said, Gowdy, you know, shocks me. I hope somebody could find some reason why you know Trey Gowdy would be like, oh yeah, 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 it's okay, you know, uh, for them to do that. And of course, you know, the liberals are all you know talking like, oh, Trey Gowdy, he's, you know. You know, people are talking. He was the, the the Benghazi guy. You know, blah blah blah. Yeah, he's done this once before though too, and, I, and it upset me when he had done almost the same thing. You know, 
had thrown a statement out there that was just off the wall <laughs> and when everything says something else and but the Paul Ryan, yeah, he, that press conference that he had was ridiculous. I mean, he's, um, well, what could I say? I, you know, um, nobody's above the law, he says. <laughs> As if Trump broke the law, they, he did. Why hasn't something been done? Well, see, I mean, that, that's kind of the, and that's kind of the thing. I mean, we're going through all this hoopla, and no one's ever, no, no one's saying, at least that I've seen, is you know that someone broke the law. I mean, they can't even get obstructed of justice. On Trump because whatever he's done, what you know, whether he wants to fire McCabe or whatever, not McCabe, uh, Mueller or whatever, it's it's within it. He's the head of the executive branch. He could fire anyone at any time for whatever reason he deems necessary, you know, in the in the executive branch. I mean, I mean, he's the top of it. You know, it's just, it's unbelievable how people how many people just just completely forget that. And then he's being investigated for collusion. Now he's not being invested for collusion. Then he's being investigated for collusion. Oh, no, wait, now we're going to do obstruction. Wait, back to collusion. Uh, obstruction. <laughs> Ridiculous. Yeah, and then, you know, and then I've also got a, you know, I'm like, it's, it's a pretty long article, but one you want to talk about is from the American uh, or the New American. You know, calling Spygate very well may be the, um, you know, much bigger. And I know you've heard it before uh, than even Watergate. Uh, yes, yeah, so, I mean we'll we'll see how things pan out. But eventually, eventually, you think the the water's got to break, so to speak. No, uh, I was trying to use a Watergate pun there <laughs> when I said that. Uh, and now I'm just scrambling on on what I was gonna what I was gonna say earlier. Gosh, darn it. Well, while I'm trying to think about that, let's go ahead, and uh, we do have uh, some other callers on. If you'd like to chime in, just push the one on your number dial, and we'll get you into the show. Now, a little uh, point uh, here is that in about 10 minutes, we will be going to the extended extended period for what we lovingly call Bard's Logic After Dark, so make sure everything is charged. Uh, make sure you don't uh, lose your spot or it gets disconnected or hang up on yourself or anything like that, because unfortunately, after 10 minutes, uh, we will not be able to uh, bring you back in the show. Uh, and if you do, would like to chime in, just push the uh, the one on your number dial, and we'll get you in. Uh, now, one of the things, uh, and this may even tie in, is, uh, and this is from uh, Infowars.com, uh, and you can actually um, find this also uh, on the Bard's Logic Political Talks uh, website's newsroom. Um, it says, and this, uh, what I was mentioning earlier, it says Bilderberg globalists are concerned about the populist uprising sweeping Europe. It said the annual elitist confab is set to meet this week in Turin, an appropriate venue given that Italy, see, there's the Italy kind of sent to Italy, to give that little push for people uh, if they haven't uh, donated my campaign. If you can, any bit is appreciated. Uh, and so, because I only have like as I said, four days to reach my my June goal, um, and so given that Italy has just elected an anti-mass migration Eurosceptic coalition government, according to the group's official website, the number one topic of conversation at this year's secretive meeting will be populism in Europe, having failed to install a former IMF technocrat after coalition talks between the Five Star Movement and Lega parties temporarily broke down. 
globalists will undoubtedly be expressing alarm at the potential for Italy to be an example to the rest of Europe. Uh, the country's new populist government has vowed to deport 500,000 migrants, reassert localism over globalization and monopoly capitalism, monitor mosques, and reinvigorate the country's Christian heritage, all policies that direct, directly contradict the neoliberal globalist consensus that Big, uh, Bilderberger represents. Says the list of attendees for this Bilderberg's conference which begins on Thursday, has been released, a roster that journalist Charles Skelton describes as fascinating and high-powered. So it's a fascinating high-powered list, Secretary General of NATO, um, Government Bank of England, Holland, Press of Davos, President of Davos, four prime ministers, two deputy prime ministers, the Dutch King and Henry Kissinger, CEO of Shell. Huh, interesting. And then that's just a tweet, so unfortunately not a lot to it. Since the clandestine group is also set to discuss the U.S. before midterms and the post-truth world, which includes efforts to combat so-called fake news. Although the mainstream media habitually dismisses Bilderberg as a mere talking shop with no actual power, there are innumerable examples of the group exerting its influence over the world affairs. In 2010, former NATO Secretary General and Bilderberg member Wiley Clay or Clay's admitted that Bilderberg attendees are mandated to implement decisions that are formulated during the annual conference of power brokers. If this is the case, it would violate laws in numerous countries that forbid politicians from being influenced by foreign agents in secret. In 2009, Bilderberg chairman, whatever this person's name is, uh, David Gunn even bragged about the euro single currency was the brainchild of the Bilderberg group. So maybe Italy is setting the way for a populist, which actually they didn't. I mean, let's be honest. The United States did with voting in uh, Donald Trump because uh, at least I would describe uh, Trump more as a populist uh, than anything else. But another thing that's come happening, and I, I don't have an article on, but I read it the other day. It's a lot of you may know that unfortunately uh, that Ireland, and you know how I feel about Ireland, recently passed a – uh, a referendum to allow abortions in Ireland, uh, one of the last uh, European countries to uh, fall to allow abortions, which, to be honest, is sad to me greatly because I think the abortion issue is one of the things that set uh, Ireland apart from a lot of the, you know, your socialist liberal uh, Europe. Uh, but there's also uh, something that I read just briefly, I'll just bring it up briefly, uh, is the uh, in Romania, they're actually Romania has in Romania. Same, from my understanding, same-sex marriage is not legal. Uh, but through the EU, there's EU laws that uh, you know allow for people who are same-sex couples to travel freely, you know, or live freely in uh, other countries that are members of the EU. So basically, so this guy was from another some country outside of Romania. Okay, and he married a guy, and so they, you know, so he wanted to bring his husband, I guess, or whatever they, what they are. I mean, I don't care if guys want to do it. My point is, is that Romania has its own sovereign laws, and I guess it's kind of like a federal government, you know. But basically, the EU law is, is trumping over, no pun intended, there uh, of their sovereignty laws. So, you know, equality over sovereignties is kind of what the the gist is. But if you want to hear more about that, I'm sure you could Google it and find out more about. 
what happened in Ireland, which they are working on repealing it, actually, uh, saying that there you know, may have been inconsistencies and uh, not quite voter fraud, but you know, voter misinformation, things of that nature, where they're going to try to, to fight that. But, I mean, I don't know how many people are keeping up with what's going on in Europe because we have you know, so many things going on here uh, in the United States. Uh, but that's, you know, that's kind of where we're at with that. Yeah, Robert, can I add two things to your conversations, Dr. Oh, Tolbert? No, yeah, certainly. Yeah. Definitely yeah. definitely add them. All right. Number number one, what they're doing in Italy, they are actually uh, making statements that they're following uh, the doctrine of uh, Donald Trump and that they're laying out the plans to reorganize and the highest population of immigration is from Africa and Muslims that are coming in and taking over the country of uh, Italy. And this had a lot to do with the Pope's change from being believing in Christianity and the Pope uh, actually downgrading Christianity and bending toward the uh, Muslims. So, uh, Italy is doing what Germany needs to do next because Germany has actually lost a lot of their small cities, have now turned to 80 to 90 percent uh, Muslims, and they continue to allow more and more uh, immigrants from the Islam into Germany. So when Italy sets this standard, and they're even making the comment that they're following how President Trump is protecting the United States borders, and they're going to do the same in protecting the Italian borders. So that was number one. Number two is on Mueller. The IG has requested all documents from Mueller, and that Mueller is postponing and not uh, adhering to the rules of the IG and the IG is now saying, if we don't have your documents, we're going to close you down ourselves. So that's on the table now where the uh, Mueller is not only fraudulently uh, gotten into and breached uh, the right that he had, and the IG made that statement that Mueller uh, outstretched his rights of the uh, panel to investigate Trump and he breached the rules of the FBI. So those are the two major things right now. Well, that's certainly. Hopefully, that comes to a head because I tell you, well, we like you know, I'd like to see that. And, he, and he's been overstretching his, his, his bounds ever since. I mean, it's real new, and they, you know, the mainstream media, of course. Oh, that's that just reminded me when you were talking about. Uh, just reminded me of what I had the brain freeze of earlier. Um, I can't remember in the context, but I tell you what, when I was, it was about Google and, and talking about, you know, <laughs> trying to find something, but I tell you what, trying to find any conservative, and we only, and, uh, we only got 90 seconds uh, before we go into the extended version, so make sure no one drops your calls. And we do, I do see plenty of folks on the line, and if you'd like to chime in, push the one on your number dial, and I uh, will get you into the show uh, tonight. Thanks, everyone, for coming, and of course. Uh, come to the show, use the link. You can also share that link out uh, to, you know, people in emails. You know, you can send a link out to them on Facebook or social media, Twitter. Uh, get them to come on and listen to our candidates for tonight and also uh, to our topics here. But I tell you what, but trying to find anything, uh, any kind of conservative or, or 
publication or article or news uh, of anything on Google is it, it's it's I'm not saying impossible because you're able to do it, but the vast majority, not I would say ninety percent, uh, if it's not more, of the articles and the places that they're doing, you know, you know, new, uh, news reports and stuff like that are from, you know. Left we you know left left leaning uh, sources. I mean it's unbelievable how bad Google is uh, when it comes. You know Google well, anything else is fine, but man, you want to look at anything political, man. Just good luck. Good luck trying to find anything. I mean I think it, with the you uh, Suzette who mentioned uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, that you know there are uh, conservative platforms. You know you know social media perhaps platforms maybe something similar to Google uh, that some people are using. Uh, you know, Quant. as search engines. Mm-hmm. Quant, Q-W-A-N-T, and for social media similar to Facebook would be we, me, com, and uh, Quant and um, Startpage.com. Startpage, um, pretty much anything that you browse, search for, um, is there's no trace of it after you're done. It totally, totally just wipes it out as far as it, your privacy goes. And the search engine itself takes um, information from all these other search engines and combines them all together. But it's a variety, and it's excellent. So that and Quant. So those are two that I know of. Quant. You guys want to check those out? It, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind Q-W- of interesting, Quant. Yes. They've got some neat features on their on – their, uh, search engine page and the way they have it organized. Uh, so, yeah, check it out. I think I shall. Actually, I'm doing it now, www.quant.com. Please do, yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, why not? We're doing it right right here live on the air. We are checking out Quant, Q-A-N-T. Oh, I guess it would probably help if I. Uh... It's Q W A N T. I'm sorry. What is it? Q W A N T. Oh, Q W. Mhm. A N T. Mhm. Oh, like Q want, like questions want, maybe. What are you looking for? Okay, I got gotcha. you. And here, and the top. Oh, the top top stories. Is something about the St. Louis Cardinals. Who cares? It does have that. Uh, oh, what is that guy's name? Oh, well, it doesn't matter. To the left, you have news, social media, images, and then boards is interesting when you go to click on that because um, you can organize all your favorite pages, but you also have the thumbnail right there for them, and you can have several different boards categorize them. Now, now, how did you find this anyway? Where did you find this at? Um, some of the groups that I um, partake in, um, what was it, the intellect? Oh, gosh, I don't know. Anyway, I got an email from them, and they were trying to generate more traffic towards this um, search engine. And the MeWe that's uh, out of Santa Clarita or Santa Clara here in California. And um, so anytime something new comes just, up like is that. Is that basically yeah. me and we, uh, M-E-W-E? Uh-huh. com, huh? <laughs> yep, that's it. Kind of a funny name. I know. 
but it, but there are websites and social media sites that are being started by. Oh, it says members um, long in. Yeah, I guess next generation social network, the best chat and group video. app. Mhm. So if they you can't this see the video, you can hear the video. As far as what they're about, there should be one there on that page. The private life I'm is in not for sale. Take the We Me challenge. Hey Robert. <clears throat> yes. I'm uh I'd like to give a report in a few minutes on the California. Oh that's right, yeah, you were gonna give us a California Oh my gosh, yeah, certainly do that. We almost got lost well, on I, that. I, go I, ahead, I, no, go ahead. Well hold on, because 'cause I'm preparing something. Uh, give me another five minutes. It's an interesting observation of how California has a runoff system now. But I'm I'll get back to you when I'm ready. But it's some interesting things here. All right, so go ahead and back to whatever you guys are ta- discussing. Okay. Robert, we're discussing MeWe. <laughs> go ahead. I thought so someone me? said Robert. Me. Yes. I got to get off here. Okay, I got to get off here. And oh, yes, okay, I'm well, let's, okay. No, I understand it's the top of the hour. I know you got to go. Uh, for that, so if you would, uh, just go ahead and give us uh, your closing thoughts for this evening. Thank you very much, uh, Susan, for coming well, to the show, as always. You know, you're talking about European and all their troubles there. Um, how about Miss America, that beauty pageant? <laughs> According to Sharon Madison, she's a conservative who's in my group and other groups, the bathing suit portion will be replaced by original poetry about the beauty of Marxism. Oh, Jesus. I... I don't know. I haven't seen it or read it. I don't know. Contestants will wear sensible footwear and clothing from natural hemp fiber. Makeup is discouraged. Hair removal of any kind frowned upon from the armpits, legs, mustache, etc. They are to present themselves as nature intended. Breastfeeding will be a legitimate talent (laughs) along with performing a real abortion on stage. I I, I don't know. That seems a little bit much. I don't know. I mean, the breastfeeding part, I mean, I'm all down for that. I mean, you know, I mean, I got no problems with that. <laughs> we aren't buying blood sure. after dark, by the way. <laughs> but the real abortion, I mean, I surely that's yeah, stimulating. That's I can't believe. So I don't you know. know there you go. Really uh, you know what? There you go, guys. There you go, guys. Breastfeeding competition. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Uh, our next sec- our next section of tonight's pageant, the breastfeeding competition. Ooh, ah. <laughs> a fake, a fake oh baby. my god! <laughs> oh my goodness! That's no crazy. hair removal. That's now that's disgusting. I'm sorry. Yeah, isn't it? Look, you know me. I'm a naturalist. Love nature. You know, blah blah blah. But you know what? Don't. Ugh. Let me tell you something. Uh, 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 Rubbing my leg against a hairy leg woman is just not my idea. Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, oh yeah. Gosh, what are these people thinking? Not to mention, it's I... itchy for the woman too. You know, <laughs> better to get rid of it. Oh, I, I tell I you what. It's... Actually, that reminds me. I got to shave my face. I'll uh, get before people start thinking to uh, grow a beard in. Um, <laughs> but oh my gosh, that's 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 that's, that's hilarious! Oh my gosh, I mean the the, the I other one, I, I mean, that's just that. 
That's a, that's absolutely disgusting. The, the the where did you where did you find that at? Especially about the abortion part. I mean, that's... um, Sharon Madison posted it on her timeline, and she's usually I don't know, but she put Viva la Revolution hashtag Don't Vote Democrat. So well, unless you're I, voting for I, unless you're voting for Randy Gaunt. In, in Hawaii now, what? I mean, I'd vote for the guy. So, uh, and it said uh, we have had people on the show who we've said that, yeah, we we're not gonna. I wouldn't vote for that person. Uh, you know, well, I wouldn't vote for that person. I mean, we do appreciate. Of course, we appreciate all of our get our guests coming on. Uh, we certainly do, and, and you know, give them a platform. But I mean, we're definitely yeah, had some people nice, in here that and... I wouldn't want to. Robert, Doctor Yeah, I'd like to just, before I drop off, I'd like to update you on what's going on in the VA since we held our shows on the 1st of May and where and what has taken place. Uh, For those that don't remember that we had three talk shows on a Monday, Tuesday, and a Wednesday, and that over the past two years we had written over seven articles Uh, These articles were all combined, and three days after the talk show, there was a committee formed by coincidence that outlined the new changes to the VA administration. The 23rd of May, the documents were put together and uh, signed off by Congress, and today the president actually uh, signed the change to the VA. And if you remember our talk show, we were talking about that the veterans should have a right to go to other places rather than the veteran hospitals. And we believe that the choice program should be closed and a new program opened. And the document we sent as a rough draft to the president uh, on the 5th of May which was prior to the 23rd when everything was formulated and the signature today uh, was actually pretty much verbatim. Uh, The president uh, did uh, refund the choice program on a temporary basis and that all members of the veterans and the military would be put under the new program. And even though we called it an extension of the TRICARE, uh, the exact readings as we discussed on the three shows again are going to be implemented in fact they were implemented today by the president's signature so if anybody doesn't think that these talk shows don't have an impact i had several people call me and said that they noticed within three to seven days everything that we were saying was being repeated by other politicians to include Brian Mast and Rubio and McCain and a lot of other people. And there was no discussion prior to the talk shows. So getting the talk show out, having it archived, putting it in documentation, sending out a 70-page booklet to the president, uh, the fact that the Senate and other people are listening uh, has made a change to the veterans today. Yeah, we certainly, you know, appreciate all, all of your hard work, uh, 
that you do, Dr. Torbo, and getting all that inf- and getting all that information out. And uh, Susan, I uh, wanted to convey to everyone uh, that she was uh, going for the, the night as well. So we would have, of course, uh, bid her good night. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Susan, for coming into the show tonight. Good night, Susan. Good night, Susan. And, Ke- and Kelly, when you're ready to chime in, just you know, just just interrupt us. Uh, <laughs> I'm ready. I'm ready for the oh, okay. wackiness of the, of the left coast. Uh, well, Feinstein is going to be the senator, whether we like it or not. But I do have yeah, to turn the primary. She dominated. But I will tell you, um, the California system has went to a runoff system. Whoever has the most bar- votes in the primary, I'm sorry, position one and two, position one and two in the primary, no matter what party, they run off in the general election. Isn't that interesting? So well, I noticed this in 16 when I went to the polls. And I'm like, what? How come there's, there's two Democrats? Like what? Actually, in a sample ballot. Sample ballot, I'm like, what? Wait, 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 what? Two Democrats. Where's the Republican candidate for Senate? Well, it's because that was kind of a trial run of the runoffs. So now we're doing runoffs in all statewide positions. Governor, Lieutenant Governor, Secretary of State, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, just, uh, of course, Jerry Brown, the moonbeam, he's termed out. He's gone. Goodbye. Have a good life. Um, but uh, his replacement would be Gavin Newsom. Now, how well did he do, and did the re- Republican get in second place? Yes, the, uh, Gavin Newsom got 33.4%, and John Cox got 26.2%. Travis Allen, a Republican. Cox is a Republican. Allen's a Republican. Got, um, so it's going to be Cox versus Newsom in the general election. The total voters in the in the statewide race was like four million. We got like thirty-five or thirty-eight million. Uh, plus, if you include the uh, one hundred and forty-four percent voter registration in the LA County, yes, one hundred and forty-four percent of the people are registered in LA County. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Somebody caught that. 144. <laughs> yeah. <so. laughs> Oops. Okay. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Work. Yeah. So we'll we'll get to that. There's other positions here: Lieutenant Governor, Secretary of State, Attorney General, and U.S. Senate. And there's an interesting observation I'll get to with this uh, runoff system when we talk about the U.S. Senate race. So. Uh, Newsom is supposedly the golden child, but John Cox has a chance. Now, if you take the uh, Travis Allen Republican uh, for governor, combine his results with John Cox, you're at 35 percent, like 30, yeah, 36 percent for the Republican governor, 33 for Gavin Newsom. That's if you take that. So it might be a close race. Who knows? All right, so we got a lieutenant governor. Kunalakis, Kunalakis, he's a Democrat, 23.4. Hernandez got 20.7. The Republican, Harris, only got 18.3. So the lieutenant governor is two Democrats competing in the runoff system. Secretary of State, Alex Padilla, uh, 51.5%, 1,995,000 versus Mark Meeser. Uh, he's 1.2 million. He's a Republican. So you have a Democrat and a Republican running for Secretary of State. Ruben Major was third place. He's a Democrat. He only got 200,000 votes. 
Um, we go to attorney general. We got a Republican and a Democrat running off against each other in the general. Stephen Bailey is a Republican. Xavier Becerra is 45%. He's got a pretty strong lead right there. So that's interesting. And I'm, I'm going to get back to some of these other races. But the Democrats, with this runoff system, this is going to turn out real interesting. Basically, Feinstein, 43.8%, and Kevin DeLeon, Democrat, 11.3%. Now keep that number in mind, 113 So we're going to have two Democrats running again at the runoff in the general election. On the Republican side of things, you have Aaron Boom Istra, never heard of him before. He had like 5.3. James Bradley was the number one amongst the Republicans, but again, um, 8.3 is not more than 11.3, so you still have two Democrats running. John Crew, 11.5. Eric Cruz, 4.1. Rocky De La Fontaine, 2.2. Others, Paul Taylor, 5.1. Now, this is where it gets interesting. Okay. This is where it gets interesting. I'm going to guess. I haven't tell. Well, I can hear. I can tally up the numbers. Here's what gets interesting is when you have a few uh, well-known Democrats running, you're going to have a winner. Well, Feinstein, I mean, forget it. She's going to win. But when you get a whole bunch of Republicans, what happens in a runoff system, you dilute the vote to the point where the Democrats are going to win. California's Democratic state. Who decided that? Oh, that's right, Democrats. Okay. So here we have, or maybe maybe that was an initiative. But anyway, so when you look at how many people ran for United States Senate, which I have a number here, it was a whole bunch. Oh my gosh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Gosh, over twenty some people were running. Um, it's just amazing. All right, so a whole bunch of Republicans ran and diluted the vote. If Brady, the number one, 8.8, he needed 11.3. 8.8, if he was combined with Mr. Uh, Bumistra, he'd be at 14.1, which means you would have a Republican versus a Democrat. If Brady, if Aaron Cruz would not have run, then Brady would have beaten uh, DeLeon, uh, very possibly. If There's two other candidates. If they would not have run and they would have teamed up, actually there's one, two, three, four. There's... Yeah, four candidates, Republicans, if they would have not ran and tamed up with James Bradley, sorry, James Bradley, he would be running against Feinstein. Of course, he wouldn't have a snowball's chance in hell anyway. But it's rather fascinating how this runoff system is working. whole bunch of people in the party dilutes the votes. So the Democrats, who are a little bit more controlling, will probably limit, which is illegal to do, but they will probably limit people from running. The Republicans think they're, you know, freedom, hey, freedom. They're going to let a whole bunch of people run. And the Democrats, looks like, are going to consistently win some key positions. So it's rather interesting. We had a bunch of uh, statewide initiatives, too, and the Enviro's got their stupid bond for, all right, another story from that one for another day. All right, I want to go back to Secretary of State race, which this, this gets real interesting. Okay. Watch the vote. We actually endorsed uh, four candidates in California. Not we didn't endorse. We did not endorse the candidates. We endorsed their policies because some people were really on what was going on with the electronic election system and the voter registration system. Ruben Major, he's a Democrat. He got third place in the Secretary of State. Secretary of State runs the elections. Okay, and Alex Padilla, he got 1.9 million. Mr. Miser. Miser at 1.2 million. Okay, fine. 
which means in the fall, if Alex Padilla has his hands on the controls of the election system, yeah, he might just be able to win. I mean, that's, you know, Stalin said it's not who votes that matters. It's what matters is who counts the votes. So, but anyway, um, so Padilla came out pretty strong, even though the Bernie Sanders folks are just infuriated with him. All right, so Ruben Major, interesting observation. 1.6 million hits on his YouTube ad. It's like a four-minute ad, YouTube. I was like, I like this guy. I like him because of his policies on election integrity. He wants to decertify the electronic election machines. He even went so far as, you know, have paper-counted ballots at the precinct with a camera watching the count on each ballot, live stream camera. Good idea. That's like, you can't get any better than that. But he had 1.6 million hits on his YouTube. And I'm sure a lot of Bernie folks were sharing that left and right, right and left. And who knows out of that 1.6 million, how many he got. Because, you know, the primary is pretty free. Hey, you know, you know I could vote for Republican or Democrat. Hey, okay, I'm going to vote for Reuben. He only got 202,000 votes. The 1.6 million hits on his YouTube video. He only got 200,000 votes. That's just looking a little suspicious here. So if he had uh, um, 100% of the votes from his YouTube, plus Bernie folks share and share, and they verbally tell their friends, they call their friends, they call their friends. Hey, we got a guy who's uh, understands. He even mentioned, Ruben Major even mentioned the 2016 problems of voter registration, not just in California, nationwide. And had they um, gotten together and told their friends, hey, vote for, vote for Mr. Major. For a major change, vote for major. 1.6 million YouTube hits, friends sharing it around, sharing it around. He only got 200,000 votes. No odd. Or, I mean, I watched the video. I was like, dude, I like this guy. You know, he's, I, I don't know. Um, so I just thought, you know, I just kind of run some numbers playing with him. Um, had he had, say, I'm going to guess about 75% of the YouTube hits, he would have replaced Miser. And maybe 80% would, would have. I just, this is weird. It's just kind of odd. Um, so anyway, that was that. Was that. Um, the governor had 32 people trying to run the circus of California. 32. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, the Libertarian uh, Senate race, he had like 0.9%. Um, what was that guy's name? Um, Derek Reed. He had like 0.9. Okay, rounded up one percent. But uh, there was there was all sorts of parties. Not um, decline to state, uh, Green Party, Pizza and Freedom Party. Um, oh geez. Yeah, that freedom. <laughs> I could go for a little bit of that. Party, that Lord. Oh yeah. Hey, I was going to join the baking party uh, in 2012. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> well, freedom and peace—they're about socialism. They have their, that's their platform. They're not—they're well, not hiding pizza. it. They're outspoken. I thought it was freedom and pizza. Oh no! no. Oh, <laughs> did, did I wait a minute? Wait a minute! Did I say pizza this and is freedom? freedom and pizza party. But hey, before we digress, <laughs> let's go ahead. We got uh, Nathan on. We got Nathan on the line, guys and gals. Uh, let's go ahead and get Hi. Nathan in. Uh, uh, thank you very much, Nathan, for coming to the show. How are you tonight? 
Pretty good, pretty good. Listen, I listen to your show by archive. Uh, Doctor Doctor uh, Tobert sends them to me because uh, I work. No, I appreciate at night. that. Thank you. And yeah, but I can't. Normally, I can't watch it because this week I'm on vacation, uh, or listen to it. This week I'm on vacation. But I'm gonna nice. tell you what, and I've shared this with Doctor Tobert. Um, I struggle sometimes. Some of the some of the conversations you guys have, you're very educated. You get a lot done. But then there's like this hump you can't get over, and that there's the Republican Party. I hear you specifically, and there's another lady I don't know her name, but that always speaks highly of 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 uh, uh, Newt Gingrich. And 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 I, I don't know if you guys really know Newt Gingrich, but you know he did the and it came from the Heritage Foundation, but he gave us the contract with America. Ten, uh, eight promises, and the very first promise was we will we will pass a law that Congress has to live by the same laws the rest of the country does. They had more R's than D's, and they promised that they would bring these things up for a, a vote within the first 100 days. Day 97, they stood up in a press conference and said, we did it, and everybody cheered. But they forgot one point. All eight of them, they didn't have enough numbers to run on. I mean to win. They they didn't have enough numbers. They had enough numbers to do beat a two thirds if they needed to. But they 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 voted it down. I've I've contacted uh, Newt Gingrich's office over the years. Even after he got out, I got a hold of his office in 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 uh, uh, Atlanta. Talked with the guy. Where did he get the idea that he is above the Constitution, the laws, and the people? You know, I really and I told him I really do need an answer from this and I and and, and I was following the Republican Party after that. Ninety six was the first time they had the majority since nineteen thirty eight, but people didn't connect the dots. We had uh in, in ninety four, ninety six there was less Republicans showed up, ninety eight less Republicans and then two thousand when we were we were told with uh, um this is the the, the 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 most important election of our life, and it was uh, down to 400 votes between Gore and and uh, 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 W, you know, and Bush, you know. What, and, what, and, and which vote was the most important vote of our lifetime? That we were told in 2000, with Al Gore. Oh, we were, and, we're, we're told that we're told that every year. <laughs> yeah, but we're told that every, but, but every presidential is, election cycle. But it, but but here's let me show you the Republicans though, you know we were told that and it was like that they that Bush won by by about 400 votes, and then from 400 I I watched, I watched this close 40 percent from 2000 to 2004 switched to independent from the Republican, 40 percent of the Republicans switched to uh, re, uh, independent or other parties. I was one of them. This in in uh, 04 I was so tired of this I just said I'm going. I'm going to be a Republican, and I was a Republican from 1978 when I was 18 all the way up to 2004. And what made me make my choice was I got my first computer in, in early uh, January of 2004, and I started learning how to use it. I went back to the Great Depression all the way up to that point, and I, I learned that the Republicans have never done anything they run on. They've never proposed a smaller budget, never proposed or, or tried to achieve smaller government, nothing. Other than the two terms of Reagan, and they've never and, – and then after Reagan, they continued doing their thing. When you look at 
the Reagan thing, the Reagan revolution, you know, the religious right responded to him before uh, Reagan the, uh, came along years before this, probably 20, 30 years before that. There was a lot of the church was waking up. I'm not sure if you're really interested in the religious part of this thing, but the the, the Christian community started getting a lot of education f- from a guy named uh, uh, Dr. Francis Schaefer, D. James Kennedy, a guy named Marlon Maddox, and a lot of lesser known names at the local level were waking the church up about their responsibility as Christians to, to be involved politically. So when Reagan came along, he res- they responded to him. And then after Reagan left, then we had the Republicans taking on the, the religious right, making the promises, and, 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 I, and I've seen this thing. I can go from, from then all the way up to now. One of my most recent memories that I really bo- I'm bothered with is Ted Cruz. Everybody believes Ted Cruz walks on water, but let, I want to refresh your memory. We, we, we got, again, in 2010, the Republicans got a majority in the Congress. They, they were saying 57 times they tried, they brought up Obamacare for a vote, and they said, we, we, need, we can pass it in the Congress, we need the numbers in the Senate. Ted Cruz, with all the rest of the Republicans in 2012, ran on re- repeal Obamacare in the Senate, okay? And that was in 2012. In 2013 of, De- uh, of September, one year later, Ted Cruz did his famous... Uh, uh, 21 hour, 19 minute fake filibuster. After his t- talking all night long, he goes up, takes a shower, they eat breakfast, and they come back down and they voted 100% for Obamacare. Rush Limbaugh, all of the Republican media, they're they're just, oh man, Ted Cruz, he's he's fighting for us, he's going to stay, you know, he's doing his best, but them Democrats, but nobody was paying attention, and you can go on YouTube, or I, I got to archive some C-SPAN, C-SPAN read the votes out right after that, and you can hear them saying each one of these names were getting caught out, 100%, 100 senators voted for it, and then fast forward to a couple years to 2015 in December, one month before 2016, which is going to be election year. 2015, they brought it up for a vote again. Two of the Republicans went to the Republican, to the Democrat side, and then they didn't have the numbers, but even still, Obama's not going to pass it. He's going to veto it. They hit one month later when 16 hits, Ted Cruz out there with all the Republicans, we, we got to do something about this. They're lying to us. And I'm asking, you know, this is like the guy, this, the Republicans and the, and the Republican voters reminds me of the guy that comes home with lipstick and perfume on his shoulder, and his wife is, well, what's this? And honey, 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 no, it is not. It is not. It's not what you think. No, 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 you're crazy, honey. Here, here, listen, I don't believe you would even trust me or question me, you know. And this is what it is. We're in an abusive relationship with the Republicans. And the Republicans, if you look at their policies, everything you blame on the Democrats. The Republicans are the ones that gave us the party. Roe v. Wade, it was 100% of, of Republican presidents that gave us the Republican judges who gave us Roe v. Wade. Not one Democrat, only two Democrat judges on the court, uh, uh, they, they voted no. So, but the Republicans, they say, and, and here's how they, they played the abortion thing. They say if you if you're if you're running for office and you really are pro-life, really and truly pro-life, you can make it into the Congress, because in the Congress your vote, and this is where they play it, in the Congress your vote is just really opinion. You're a vote as a as a senator, 
becomes law. So if you're pro-life, you can get into the Senate, uh, to the Congress. But if you're really, really pro-life, the Republicans ain't letting you in there. We saw this in uh, 2012 with Aiken and uh, this uh, guy Murdoch out in Nevada. You know, they, the Republicans were the ones that put the money up against the ads because they said something stupid, you know. And I, I, my, my question is, why can't we tell the Republicans, why can't we call the Republicans out on what they did? What they're doing, they're not, I mean, let's say there's an education, federal education came from a Republican president, the EPA from a Republican president, all these things that the Democrats proudly say, uh, the, the, the gay marriage thing, Ted Cruz, Ted Cruz and uh, John Cornyn of Texas recommended two gay activist judges. For Obama to, and and you know they 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 uh, you know it's, it's, they overwhelmingly, with the exception of a handful of judges, they gave him all of his judges, and now the Republicans uh, are saying, well, we we got we we were having problems coming up with an answer for the Obamacare, or we're having a hard time giving Trump his. Trump is like Reagan; the people responded to him. And the Republicans are the ones that are benefiting from it because of that. And this is what I would wish Trump would do. I wish he would run as an independent and just simply run as an independent. And here's the, here's the reason I think he can win. It's always the Republicans that, that, that their vote gets split if there's an independent running. The Democrats never get split. So we know that right there the Republicans are not the answer to the Democrats. You, you will see a, a Democrat switch to Republican because – he or to independent because he needs to get he needs to get elected and he can as a Democrat. But you never see a Republican switch to Democrat but because the, the Republicans are not the answer. The Republicans, the, the Democrats, have got a strong base because they're they're honest about what they believe. And I, you know, the thing is, is I'm sitting here over the years and my mind's been open to this stuff. Uh, and I'm and, and my, you know, it just torment torments myself. One of my biggest stinks would both parties there is no two-party political system in the document when i went in the military i made an oath to the constitution i really didn't know what i made an oath to because there was certain things in there that was like most of us we want to speak our minds so that's important to me and i I don't want no one tell me i I can't own a gun so that's important to me but i wanted to really get to know what it said and i started studying and there's no electoral college in the constitution when you read what the, the the political process for electing a president, there's no system, there's no ticket that has two candidates on it. There, 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 we vote for the president, we vote for the vice president, then we vote for the electors of the president and vice president, and they have an election for president and then vice president. And this is what, what it would look like if we followed that. We could vote for Robert for president if you were running. And we could vote for Hillary to be your vice president. And you'd be saying, no, I don't want to work with her. But, but it's, you're not the one that decides this. There's not two teams in the rooms. It's a group full of a room full of members. Everybody comes there not as a part of a team. And this is another thing I want to point out. We always talk about we need the politicians to get together and work together. Here, if you've ever been married, and I haven't, but I have seen this, when you get any group of people or two people that can compromise, and compromise means... Everybody gives up something, something, right? Everybody. And if if one person is the only one's giving up, it's not a compromise. One guy's in charge. But if everybody gives up something for us to make something work, everybody 
even though I give up what I, I was important, something that was important to me, you did, what we end up doing is getting unity out of it. The two parties working and making deals and moving things forward and making compromises, what that's doing is it's uniting them. So when people say we have a democracy, I agree with them. We have, it's all a numbers game. We got to get, get more Republicans, more Democrats to beat the other side, and then whenever they get put in office, then what do they do? It's all about numbers, and they come together and they make deals. They're moving us forward, and we're eventually going to become a, a socialist system. And and then then and then whatever after that that is worse. Hey, uh, Robert. Um, yeah, real quick. I, yeah. I, yeah, real quick, Kelly. I will. I will. But let me answer to uh, to Nathan, and then we will. We've got you know we've got time, uh, and it, this will be brief. Uh, and, and thank you very much, Nathan, for calling to the show. I agree with almost every, not everything, but I agree with most of what you said. Uh, just a little background uh, is that uh, I've one. I left the Republican Party back in 2012. I was a Republican most of my life until 2012. I left the party. Uh, actually, for the past. Uh, four years up to recently, I was a, I was a Green Party uh, card uh, Green Party guy. I was a card carrying Green Party uh, guy. So, and I've been touting, you know, to end. And if let's go back to 2012, I'm in touting to end the duopoly. Yes, I'm a, a big fan of Newt Gingrich and still am, even though he's a Republican. I've uh, interviewed a lot of folks, or we have interviewed a lot of folks here from the Libertarian Party, Constitution Party. Uh, so we've had multiple, you know, alternative parties here in. And I've said many times in the show that I would support uh, electoral system more similar to uh, Ireland, where they have multiple parties, and they don't just have uh, multiple parties. They also have uh, preferential voting, where you vote for your preferences, and it's a you know complex uh, mathematical you know how they figure out who wins. Uh, but they do preferential voting, which I think you know it could be done here. And there's actually some localities that do that do that, and I've been meaning to get. You know, some folks on, uh, you know, to talk about that, whether from Ireland or even even somewhere locally. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, we, we talked about ending the duopoly a lot of time and, and said many times that uh, the Republicans and Democrats are, you know, two sides of the same coin. That's why we, you know, talk a lot about, you know, get grassroots candidates in there, you know, drain the swamp. And, and yeah, I mean, if, if, I, if I thought Trump – could win uh, as an independent. I prefer, I'd rather him be an independent. I, as I say many times again on the show, he's a po- he, he's more populist than than Republican. Um, and so, I mean, in 2012, I voted for Virgil Goode uh, uh, of the Constitution Party. Uh, I did vote for Trump this time because you know he wasn't uh, you know not because he was a Republican, it's because well he was a non-career politician. But anyway, I know Kelly. Uh, you've got some things you want to do uh, you know, with some other points, so go ahead. And then we'll bring it back uh, to you, Nathan. Well, uh, Robert, I like this guy. Nathan? Nathan L? I, is that, can I call you Nathan? Yeah, Nathan in Orlando. Yeah, I like All right. Well, you know, I like this guy because he's really thinking. I left the Republican Party back in 2000. Okay, I, I just, if I'm going to vote third party, I don't care who it is. Michael Benaric, I later met the guy, I'm like, Ew. But, you know, anything. I just like third party. I'm done with the Republicans. Um, we went to war unconstitutional. I mean, I voted for Bush Jr. the first time, but never the second. You know, and I'm furious with Trump about uh, Syria. I like a lot of stuff Trump's done, but really, 
follow the Constitution. You need a declaration of war. You need to declare war and go to Congress. Anyway, I, they, I've been accused of being a constitutional shower, constitutional scholar on this show. Constitutional shower. I wish that would happen to America. Um, but I, I would wish when rank choice voting or preferential voting comes, I hope people start voting third party to break the duopoly. I think that's the answer. Um, so, I would say that for a long time too. Yeah, yeah, maybe not as long as so, you, Kelly, but. <laughs> Yeah, I, I want to make a quick announcement, ask for people's help on something. Um, but I was a poll watcher last night, poll observer, and uh, that's for another show. But I did want to talk about um, – are you there? Yeah, I'm here, yeah. Yeah. Okay, okay, good. Well, here's what, something the gang's all here. the vote did. <laughs> yeah, the gang's all here. Something that Watch the Vote did, um, we had – Position endorsements of four candidates in California. We quickly put this together. I did a YouTube video, but at least it's a model for other election integrity groups to follow. Um, and we had three different parties. Um, we had Patrick Little. I mentioned him. He got creamed. Um, he wants hand-counted paper belts. Uh, Ruben Major, I mentioned him earlier. He's on. He's a, he's a Democrat, but so what? His policies is what we endorsed. His position, Mark Meiser, he's a Republican, and um, Eric Reidberg, he's a he was uh, pizza and freedom. I'm sorry, peace and freedom. Anyway, <laughs> pizza that maybe I'm just hungry. All right, anyway, but they had good policies, so we endorsed their policies, and uh, so there's that. And um, hopefully, other vote watch groups will do the same thing: examine candidates and start. Start endorsing candidates that, that want to get an honest election. Now, here's the thing I want to ask people's help with. As a poll watcher, I got to watch them um, after the vote. You slide it into the ice machine. It's a Dominion ice. You, your, your ballot goes through. They print a ticker type at the end of the night, and they print. They, they post it right out on the uh, door. And uh, But they took this 2-inch by 2-inch by an 8-inch memory card. And they put it into the uh, a plastic bag when they ran it to the clerk's office. I followed them. Okay, fine. Walked right in. But um, I talked to an electrical engineer today because in Wisconsin, the recount, Jill Stein, this is where I'm going to ask for your people's help. Okay, it's a really easy thing to do. All right. What um, they found in the Wisconsin recount was uh, voting vote counting machines at the precinct that had a Wi-Fi antenna. That would connect to cell towers. And you know what that means. It means a virus can go into the memory card, which I saw get removed last night, and go into the central tabulator. And, it's, and so a virus from a cell tower into a memory card, into the central tabulator, and, and it can change the entire vote of a county. And it's frightening. I've actually drawn a diagram about this. Anyway, so here's what I'm asking people to do, all right, that are still have primaries coming up, even the general election. Take your phone, get your Wi-Fi connection, all right? You put it up on your phone, and you'll find out when you're in the precinct. Um, like if, if, if uh, there's businesses nearby or homes, you'll get Wi-Fi names, you know, Wi-Fi A, B, C, D, whatever, okay? If you have incredibly strong sing- signal and you're standing next to these machines, guess what? It probably has a Wi-Fi. Well, how can you also confirm that? Take your phone the day before, go to the precinct. 
and see, okay, channel A, B, C, D, but there's no one labeled X, Y, Z. Okay. You go to the precinct that day, turn your phone, Wi-Fi. Oh, all of a sudden, X, Y, Z showed up. ABC was there the day before, but not X, Y, Z. At the precinct there. When they pull the plug out of the machine and the X, Y, Z Wi-Fi signal is gone, guess what? There's a Wi-Fi in that machine. I'm asking people to go to the precinct the day before, write them down, the day at when the precinct is closing, and see if you have an extra Wi-Fi signal. And when they plug it off, if it disappears, guess what? There's one in the machine. Another way you can do this is you can watch a cell tower signal. If it's, like, super strong, uh, that's another hint. It's an easy thing to do to detect that there's Wi-Fis in the precincts. They found them in Wisconsin. John Brakey wrote about it. I called him. It's freaky, folks. We don't have free. We don't have fair elections. Um, I remember uh, Dr. Topher, uh, he I remember I met him back whenever he was running for uh, governor. He he put foot. He put his feet on the ground in 67 can, uh, uh, um, counties in in Florida. He would go and set his camper up and and work a 50 mile radius for like a year and a half before the election, and he put together a network of friends along the way. And then near the end of the election, he sets up close to where he wants to be for a base camp, and, and every month, a couple times a month, he would take off and run around, sometimes large audiences, sometimes backyard barbecues. But he, his friends that he met out there that believed in him would put together rallies and invite their friends to it and then on the day of election and and i i I work at night and i got off one night about three o'clock in the morning 3 30 i'm driving home and i hear this guy he's a a, a, some kind of a guru on the polls and he's on kill me and he's he's telling as a read one from the daytime but he's he says and he mentions tobert and and this guy's bringing in 14% on the I4 corridor. I woke him up. I called him in the middle of the night. You just hey, you you just hit the big time, right? And and uh, next thing you know, he goes goes to election day, and at the end of the day, he got 82 votes. It, 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 you know, no, no, I got more than 100 phones and uh, phone numbers in my cell phone. You're going to tell me, and I don't know near, or I haven't met and shook hands with as near as many people as he did, and you can't tell me we have we have fair elections. Yeah, what I'm trying to tell you is I realized that last night, you know, they found it was oh my gosh. Take your cell phone, take your cell phone before, find out where the precincts are, talk to your county clerk, okay? If you've got primaries, do it in general too. Get your Wi-Fi out, you know, Wi-Fi channels, it'll show you how many channels, okay? Like if you go to a, a hotel, boom, there's channels, all right? The day before, ABC is there. If on the day of the election, XYZ is added, and then when they unplug the machine, XYZ disappears, guess what? There's a Wi-Fi in that thing. Go back the next day, channels A, B, and C, XYZ is gone, and then watch your cell signal. It's that easy, folks, to see if these machines are operating because – that's possibly how they're doing it. I have a question for you, Kelly. Um, last or yesterday, when my husband went to go vote, he went at his lunch hour. He had forgot his booklet, and usually we have a, a where we have to draw a line on a ballot, and then we stick it in a box. But um, any time before that, when we voted, if you forgot your booklet. Um, even though you told them what your name was and that was your precinct because you didn't have your booklet as a sort of identification type thing, 
um, you filled out a provisional ballot. And um, they did not offer him a provisional ballot. I don't know if the thing, anything had changed about that. Um, but that tells me that if I want to vote illegally, I can look up dead people and just walk up and give them the name and vote in that person's name. They're dead. They can't verify whether that person actually voted or not. You know, that was the whole purpose of the booklet. Um, and then they asked him if he wanted to take his picture with his ballot. And they had a section, an area where the camera was set up. So I went afterwards to go vote uh, and when I got off of work. And um, and I didn't see <laughs> anything for provisional ballots. The camera thing was set up, but I wasn't asked if I wanted to have my picture taken. So anyway, does this sound unusual to you? Hey, is this in California? Hey, here. I got some. Yeah, I'm here in um, San Bernardino, California. Well, Mm -hmm. well, yeah, that's right. Well, let me answer her question first because, first of all, it's illegal to take photos in in the precinct. Ooh. Uh, Number two, you cannot deny someone a provisional ballot. Um, Uh, No, they didn't deny him. He got to vote, but that that was the whole thing. I'm sorry. Giving him a ballot because they couldn't verify who he was. Wow, well, go ask some questions to the county clerk's office because you know, the precinct workers might have been out of line. Hey, can I share something? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, um, go ahead, in 2000, yeah, in 2008, during the presidential election, I was listening to uh, Rusty Humphreys on, on the radio here in Orlando, and he was his wife back then, his wife passed away, but... Back then, he was in Orlando because she had cancer, and they had they were having her treated here. So he was coming to, to here a lot, and he would do a lot of his uh, work out of a local station here when she was going through treatment. And, and during the election, he went down on election day, and he was talking to people in the uh, line about who they're going to vote for. And uh, he was talking to this one lady, and he goes, she goes, what do you think about this uh, this long line? And is this something the people are speaking? She goes, yeah, this is a pretty long line. But she goes, you should have seen the line in Kissimmee this morning. It was really long. She voted twice in two different counties. And I, I emailed him, and I said, you did not catch that. And, and he never replied to me. Oh, but my God. It, she, just, she just admitted she voted in Kissimmee this morning, and she's at nighttime. She's down there voting for, in or, Orange County, Orlando. Wow. Wow. But, well, maybe that's well, and, and maybe that's how California got two million more votes for Hillary Clinton because he had too many. He had people voting twice for Hillary. Yeah. You know what I found on the Secretary of State's um, website today? What's that? I found it says. When you vote, when you get a driver's license, you are automatically registered to vote. That is why L.A. County, yeah, that is why L.A. County has a 144% voter registration. There's a lawsuit. It's um, Judicial Watch versus uh, the county clerk. They have a lawsuit going because you can't, I mean, come on, 144%. San Francisco County, like 120%. Another county, 130% voter registration. Where are they? They're very legal. Jeez, unbelievable. And, and at that point, and at that point, this is one of those uh, parts that definitely sounds like we could go over <laughs> our time tonight. But unfortunately, we don't have that. Uh, so I would do want to be able to open up folks for their our closing thoughts. You've got about a minute, and then uh, the closing bell. 
So what we'll do is, is uh, first uh, we'll go with uh, yourself, Dr. Tolbert, and then with uh, Suzette, you'll be second for final uh, thoughts, and then you, Kelly, and then Nathan. Again, each person has about a minute, and then I'll have to close things out uh, for tonight. Thank you very much uh, for coming to the show. Uh, again, uh, you know, consider uh, sharing out the link uh, to folks on your emails or your social media or both. Uh, it's uh, definitely appreciated. And also, of course, check out the Bards Logic Political Talk website at www.bardslogicpoliticaltalk.com. Uh, so let's go ahead and bring it to you, Dr. Tolbert. Thank you. Yeah, and I'm going to close it with a subject you wanted to want to discuss, and that's territories and certain individuals that are not residents of a state have no right to vote, and therefore is why Puerto Rico should become the 51st state, and it should not be judged on the fact it's a Democrat or Republican, and the fact that we're allowing individuals to vote as illegal from territories in Florida and other places is the greatest problem we're having with our voters today in America. That's my one minute. Okay, well, I appreciate it, Dr. Tolbert. Yeah, go ahead, Suzette. Oh, okay. Uh, I wanted just to say, as far as the vote for the Obamacare, you know, just to clarify, um, that vote right there, no senators had voted for it. But in the House, there was 200 the vote was 219 to 212 34 house democrats and all of the house republicans voted against obamacare but there were 34 votes that were by only bipartisan those were the only votes that were bipartisan and that was by the 111th congress and that was um statute 124 stat 119 through 124 otherwise known aca or obamacare also john locke He's my favorite libertarian. I voted some Republicans, but I also voted some non-parties and some libertarians. I like to mix it up a little bit. We don't want to have dominance. Think smart. Think qualified. Get to know your candidates. Back to you, Robert. Thank you very much, and then that means I bring it on over to you, Kelly. Well, I'm still with Watch the Vote, and we're still doing things behind the scenes that we're going to launch here eventually. Um, just an amazing coincidence. My computer keeps crashing when I'm doing certain big things like this. But anyway, um, yeah, there are things people can do to watch the vote. I just gave a simple example. Take your wife, your cell phone, watch for the Wi-Fi signal. You know, tell some friends locally, and it's a big precinct. Anyway, there are things that we can make an honest vote, which hopefully will have a third party emerge. And maybe all of our discussion is in vain if the electronic system is voting for us. Uh, we have yet to see if we can fix this and get honest votes. we got to get John Brakey on the show. All right. I'm, no, definitely. Okay. I'm going I'm to commit, commit the eighth deadly sin of hogging the microphone. If I, can conti- if I continue, I won't be able to make it next week. I'll be with family in the Midwest. Well, in the Midwest, maybe you should swing by to go to Ohio. Uh, and then we'll uh, bring up uh, the last minute uh, before closing up to you, Nathan. Yes, thank you for uh, listening to me. Let me get my therapy. Uh, I'm going to say the second uh, Article 6, the second paragraph, everybody who either signed on to NAFTA or stood by and watched it and didn't yell, this is treason, uh, violated their oath, an oath is a promise at the core of your being. 
the same thing with George Daddy Bush, his Executive Order 12803 that, that complements um, NAFTA. Get a chance to look at 12803. Thank you for your time. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for, well, thanks for uh, continuing your listenership. Uh, I appreciate it. And I definitely hope you get to uh, have you back on the show. And I will uh, at this point have to end tonight, as I do every night, and that is with the song by Aubrey Ashburn. And you can hear more of her music by going to www.aubreyashburn.com. Thank you very much, folks. We'll see you next time, and good night. Good night. Okay. Wow. <laughs> I can't get the uh, our, our ending music playing. I guess uh, NSA Bob didn't like what you guys are doing, so they tried to decide to freeze my uh, uh, computer up too. So I guess we'll just have to uh, end in in silence. Thank you very much, Suzette. Thank you. Mm-hmm.